This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Man, and just like that, we're back on the air. How about that? Welcome in. Another edition of the opening kickoff is upon us. We appreciate you getting up early with us. It is the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G, all in the studios of WNSP for the next three hours right here on the sports station. Encourage you to join the conversation at 694-1055. Good morning, sir. Good morning. A lot of the sports news actually coming from uh, Las Vegas and out on the West Coast. Uh, You know, it took Denver 47 years to win its first NBA title. Las Vegas Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup in only their sixth year, and boy, did they do it. Nine to three, the most goals ever scored in a Stanley Cup final game. Nine goals. You know, I used to joke around when a team got lucky enough to score that many goals, like the goaltender would get sunburned from the red light going off, but uh, that's just incredible. A nine to three win. So they win four games to one. And I heard somebody yesterday say, So we talk so much about Miami having uh, an NBA team in the finals and also uh, a hockey team in the finals, Florida Panthers. So is this the first time ever that two teams from the same area went down to defeat in the finals? I don't know the answer to that. I heard that come up yesterday. But anyway, so while this is going on, Mark, you got the Nevada Senate passing a bill allocating something like $380 million as the first step towards building a new baseball stadium in Vegas to accommodate the Oakland A's. While this is going on, not exactly going on, but on the same night, the Oakland A's fan base, which isn't much, they only average, they say 8,000, but many people feel it's less than that. They turned out for reverse boycott last night, 27,000 plus. That'll show them. Yes. Yeah, but of course... Unbeknownst to them, probably it was the news about the uh, the Nevada Senate. Now that's just a first step. They have to get approval from the assembly, and then the governor has to sign it to get Oakland to move. But the uh, fan base, which hasn't been there, and you can't blame them for all that has gone down, trading away their good players and not sprucing up the stadium and doing very little for, let's say, fan accommodations. But they turned out in mass like 27,000 to try to show the community they want the team to stay. They were giving out shirts. They, they made this into a really big event. And and then you got the ball team, which is the worst in the league, beat Tampa, the best team in the league, 2-1 to one for their seventh straight win. But... I think it's going to be too little too late. The mayor of Oakland says we're going to do everything we can to keep the team. But this has been going on for years and years now. They play in the worst stadium in Major League Baseball. And again, the owner, who's the uh, the heir to the gap fortune, he's a billionaire. He wants to get to Vegas. So, so a community that didn't support its baseball team for a number of reasons and legit ones at that is upset that the franchise they didn't support is leaving, so then decided to show up after it was announced they were leaving to show the support for that team. You got it right. Okay. Yeah. Just just wanted to well, make sure. In this case— Sounds something like the, Mobile. I, something I, Mobile would do, quite frankly. <laughs> the fan base, I understand, they, they felt the owner was tanking, which he has been because they've been trading away any decent players to get minor league players. And the fact of the matter is the stadium and and— to a person, it's considered the worst stadium around. 
so basically, this is the the script to Major League in real life. I mean, instead of going to Miami, which I think is what they said they were going to do in the movie, they're going to Las Vegas. Yes, that's I what mean, they want to do. The showgirl Rachel Phelps is 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 running this team into the ground. His name is John Fisher. Okay, he's the owner. It's 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 a better story if it's a showgirl, former showgirl Rachel Phelps. Not bad. And if they win, they peel a piece. But okay. All right, fair enough. I That's just want like, to make sure that... Yeah, and so now they're up to 18 wins because they've won seven in a row. By the way, speaking about baseball, a couple of other quick notes. Uh, no Field of Dreams game this year, but there is a report that in 2024, the Field of Dreams game will be in Birmingham at historic Rickwood Park, which is the oldest baseball stadium in America, and it will feature the Giants and the Cardinals, the Giants, of course, where Willie Mays made his fame and fortune, and he played for the Birmingham Black Barons back in the late 40s. So that's on, that's out there now, Mark, that that could become a reality. This year, uh, they did not have the Field of Dreams in Iowa because they were redoing the stadium or doing some renovations. So that would be really something for the state to have that Field of Dreams game because of all the publicity that would go with having... Yeah, uh, no, it'd be very cool. I, I think... Uh I think there's a, a maybe a mystique to having out there in uh, in Iowa. Is that where it was? Iowa. Yes, Iowa. Di- <laughs> Dyersville, Iowa, where the uh, movie was filmed. Right, the movie Field of Dreams. Old vintage stadium under repairs. Okay, all right, fair enough. So the other baseball note is we had another sticky fingers. Ugh. Yeah, but this one was very unique because the pitcher Smith was summoned from the bullpen. He never got to the mound. The umpires examined him before he even threw ah, a pitch. That's preventative, first, yeah, I like it. Preventative uh, sticky fingers. And the ums were saying that both of his hands were sticky when they tried to shake hands or whatever. They didn't know what kind of substance it was, but they, they said it was too sticky. The funny part about, ironic about this, is that Scherzer started the game and got whacked around. So he was the first pitcher who was tossed this year because of sticky fingers, and now the relief pitcher gets thrown uh, forgive my ignorance, but is it, is it common practice to investigate these guys before they Mark, hit them? Mark, I didn't realize they did that. But do this they, is the is, first. Oh, okay. Obviously, they do. I didn't know that. I I, w- I assumed it was always after they left the mound and came to the uh, baseline that's that they were examined. But for whatever reasons, and maybe it is protocol now that you examine the pitcher before he goes to the mound. But I had never heard of a pitcher being thrown out prior to throwing his first pitch. And you can imagine what kind of a burden this puts on the bullpen because then you got to get somebody else up and start warming up. Can you? Th- should they throw somebody out in that instance, though, or give them an opportunity to meet whatever standard they have, you know, laid out there? Meaning, can, can you throw somebody out of a game that's never been in the game to begin with? Yes. There's been a case where uh, a manager was tossed at home plate giving out the line- lineup cards way mm-hmm. back. That's mm-hmm. happened, too. So those are some of the stories. Uh, Rob Vaughn. Speaking of baseball, introduced yesterday as Alabama's baseball coach. And we'll have some uh, comments from him. I guess the one that stood out to me was when he said that he almost passed out when he met Nick Saban. He had some. And then at the end of the uh, end of his press conference, I did listen to it. And he talked about the culture of Alabama and this and that. But he also said, I'm not here just to find the best shortstop in baseball. I'm here to help these players become great fathers and so forth. So it was a unique message he gave. 
Uh, Greg Byrne introduced him yesterday and said that he hopes he's around for 25 years or so. That's pretty long these days for a coach, especially in, in baseball. But, you know, that being said, they have a new coach in place, Jason Jackson. The interim coach will stay on for at least two years. But, I, Mark, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a school – comes after him maybe this year maybe next year based on what he accomplished there in an interim basis um yeah he's the baseball new the new baseball coach said that he was in, it was the most intimidating yeah. uh experience of his life right i in a, I, in a I good heard, way i heard him talk about it but i, I was kind of like such a thing is, is that a positive to have the most uh i i've met nick saban i i didn't Almost fainted you. You've met him, right? Yeah, we've yeah. Well, we've interviewed. I mean, not yeah. in, the sh- in the afternoon. No, I've interviewed but yeah, him, but you've interviewed him. Have you interviewed him in person? Mm-hmm. Okay, and you didn't feel dizzy, did you? I did not. I didn't either. I've met him. He's he's okay. I mean, it's it's not the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, I I um I think I think as a it's probably in the Alabama handbook somewhere for new coaches. You know, <laughs> thank thank the administration, thank the president, thank the fans. Pay homage to the greatest coach in the world. I, I think those are the those are the the key points, right? Well, so w- then he passed with flying colors. Wasn't there a report? This takes me back a bit. When Saban first got hired, there were some stories about how certain people wanted him to mention Bear Bryant. Did he? I didn't know that. I don't remember that. And and you may wait beyond. Or was something. that the? Or was that part of the whole Rich Rod story where he was supposed to go up there? Rich Rodriguez. Yeah, and and mention that's Bear Bryant. Uh, he wouldn't do to, it. I'm gonna have to fall back yeah. on you on that one. I I do not know that Good one. Times. I can't comment on. Uh, Good times. Rodriguez never actually came to. Did he no, ever? no. But they had got. Depending on which version of that story you you believe, there were certain things that he was supposed to say once he got the job. That might have been it more so than. than you're not. You're not. Saban. You're not thinking about Coach Price. No. Coming in and saying something. <laughs> no. Did he, did he ever have a press conference? Do you remember? I don't. Did he ever actually get introduced where the media talked to him and, and so forth? I, I'm assuming you had to, but I don't remember back in those days. You covered that story a lot closer than I did. Uh, I don't remember. I really don't remember. I'm going to say no. I don't remember much to do about him coming in. I feel like they should have had something. But I, 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 man, that's been a minute. Uh, all right. So coming up today, uh, Boyd Nation's going to talk some, uh, some college baseball with us at seven. Uh, Carter Bradley, South Alabama, uh, uh, quarterback set to join us around seven 20 or so. Uh, Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide at eight o'clock. Tony Ruggiero. At eight twenty, Richie Riley at eight thirty. We'll have uh, we'll have some Chick Fil A for you in hour number one too. You hear that story about Adam Hadwin, the golfer, the Canadian golfer who was tackled. So he goes out to Los Angeles. He's out. He's in the open. He's a golfer and he's competing. So the USGA, which governs this tournament, gave him a hard hat and a yellow security vest. So there would be no reoccurrence. Say, we want you to be safe during this. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek. I thought it right. was very well done. Right. Made him really feel at home. And 
now I'm sure he feels a lot safer now than he did when he when he was tackled by that security guard. But I thought it was a pretty good sense of humor and by the USGA. Did anybody actually talk to the security guard or interview him after? I haven't seen it, but I know Hadwin apologized. He apologized to the security guard. I would have thought it would be just the opposite. Hmm. All right. Uh Let's get this party started with the scoreboard traffic and weather. Something, uh, I'm sure you saw the comments. Najee Harris actually came to the defense of the running back position as a whole. We talk about how um, there's a, a short shelf life and it's not much, you know, running backs are no longer uh, kind of first round draft picks. And if they are, they're few and far between. Najee kind of questioned that openly. He's a little late to the party. Uh, um, I, my my first uh, years following the NFL, it was all about the running backs. Uh, so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And does he have a point? I think he, he might. He does have a point, but with the new rules and the emphasis on passing and opening up the game, I, I see what's happened. Although I used to like it when each team had a great running back. All right, we're just getting started. The opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hey, this is David Morse of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station. Six twenty-three. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Uh, thanks for hanging with us on this Wednesday. You know, Mark, I'm sure you're well aware. We've talked about it uh, previously when a, a Stanley Cup team. You know how they, the players can they get the cup for maybe a, a day or a week. Maybe yeah. they go to a school or maybe they go to the bar. Can you imagine parading that thing in the casinos in Las Vegas, carrying that big Stanley Cup and making the rounds and going to the the lounge and so forth, or maybe going to a show and, and say, look. And they probably wouldn't even have to pay for a ticket, just holding the Stanley Cup and having it resting on one of the seats. So if if you're keeping score right now by city, is Vegas a big winner today? Maybe Miami's a big loser. I mean, we talk, or is Miami a winner for getting to all these championships and just coming up short, right? Is this the whole Buffalo well, Bills Super Bowl argument? Like, is it a is it a failure to get there that many times and and, and lose or? Man, they got there, which is more than I can say for everybody else. Yeah, you know, Mark, uh, in this case, both both Miami franchises were eight seeds, so nobody really expected them to be yeah, there. Yeah, that's a good point. They were eight seeds, so to that, you have to say they had successful seasons. They were certainly outmanned when they got to the finals. Um, I'd, I haven't followed hockey that closely. I don't know much about Vegas' team, but to win 9-3 to three yeah. in a final? No touchdowns, all field goals. Really? What a boring game. It, well, it is. I mean, it, yeah, unless you're a Vegas fan, and it happened to be on Vegas ice. But it's, here's the deal, though. Six years to get a Stanley Cup. Now, when they first became in existence, they went to the finals, I think, that first year and got eliminated. But it was the talk of the town. How could a team in their very first year with all cast-offs and, you know, picking a, a roster of has-beens, and they came in and did so well? But uh, it's quite a story. And now you got... Oakland A's trying to move in there. You got the Raiders in there, and you wonder if there'll be an NBA team down the road. That's, uh, But I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we can ask our podcast sensation, I think the NBA scheduled an all-star game in Vegas down the road. 
or shortly. I don't know. I, I thought I saw that someplace. But anyway, so it's becoming uh, yeah, sports capital, maybe, maybe. Can you confirm or deny that speculation uh, NBA podcast or also affectionately known as Triple G? I, uh, I can confirm the speculation. Confirmed. Confirmed speculation. You can't confirm the story as being accurate, but it's confirmed speculation. Yes. I think there's and, – and, and why I bring this up because, you know, over the years, sports, whenever gambling came up or vague, oh, no, we don't be part of it. We're, we're not going to deal with it. You know, it, we don't, we don't want to be associated with it. Yeah, right. And now they're all trying to get associated with it. Mark, you brought up a good point. It, it pushes a button with not so much a button with me, but Najee Harris's comments about the running back being obsolete. I think what we're talking about, the, the star running back, the, the number one running back being obsolete. Teams are going to more of a, you know, by committee uh, because back again, back in the 50s and 60s, when I started following the NFL, the star of the team was the running back and the guy would carry 30 times a game. All right. And they they basically it, it was about the running game and defense. And to a degree, even today, coaches will tell you that late in the season, especially in cold weather, you're only going to go as far as your running game can take you and as far as a defense can take you. But with the NFL incorporating all these new rules to uh, to assist passing and don't hurt the quarterback or don't touch the quarterback and you can't hit the receiver at the line of scrimmage and things like that, it opened it up for a passing game. And obviously the NFL is excited about this because it creates more excitement and so forth. So, you know, Najee's words, I ring true way back. But in this day and age, I think teams feel that the money they spend on, let's say, a running back in the first round, they could better use to maybe get two or three running backs because running backs are an endangered species, and it's better to have maybe two or three rather than have one and have them banged up and lost for the season. Well, so Najee Harris was kind of questioning the narrative about how running backs have short shelf life, and We've devalued running backs, but should we? I know we are a pass-happy league now, and that's fine. But when you think about everything that the running back does, it's far—I mean, it's far more than what any wide receiver does. Maybe not from a production standpoint, but we're asking these guys now. Well, we always ask them to block and pick up blitzes, right? But now they've got to be every down backs, right? We don't specialize as much as we used to, and some of the premier running backs in the league are pass catchers anyway, right? So, and and they're going out on routes. So, I I don't, I mean, I guess I understand why, I don't, I I think we devalued by um, inadvertently. I think because we put so much stock in wide receivers now, but a great running back is, I mean, you look at Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook or Alvin Kamara, how many times a game, do those guys go in motion and wind up their they're lined up as receivers? Like I said, when you get down to the uh, November and December and you're playing in cold weather, you better have a running game to go with your defense because it's harder and harder to throw the football. And I, for one, I know where he's coming from, but I also understand the direction the game was going into and and the teams you know you talk about longevity there are a lot of running backs had a lot of years like you know, Emmett Smith uh, Barry Sanders Jim Brown I mean lots of great running backs stayed around for a long time but they don't anymore which is his point and he's asking what why is that is it because of their age he doesn't know is it is it money for for teams 
they allocate that money elsewhere. A couple, a lot of running backs recently were tagged, and he's asking simply why. And I think it's a valid question. We'll continue to talk about it. Chick-fil-A next. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. All right, 6.32. We're going early today on the Chick-fil-A for all you early risers. Thanks for making us part of your morning. This is a basketball question. Christian Brown of the Denver Nuggets joined a very select group of players who won a championship, was on a championship-winning team in his last year in college, and then in his first year in the NBA was on a championship team. He becomes only the fifth. And we want to know who was the last one to accomplish that. Now, let me kind of fill in the, the, the so you don't, you know, start scrambling and throw out. Like, Bill Russell was the first. Came out of San Francisco. They won a championship. Next year, he led the Celtics. Magic Johnson was in that group. So don't, don't, it's not Magic Johnson. As you know, he left Michigan State after the championship and then went to the Lakers and they won a championship. So we want to know who was the last NBA player to go from a championship college team to an NBA championship team in the span of consecutive years. If you know the answer, 694-1055. Hmm. So why aren't we talking about this young man as one of the greatest ever? If if rings is ultimately the determining factor in one's greatness, it doesn't get much better than that, right? I, I don't think we're first ready to... year in the NBA and he's got a he's got a ring? He didn't play that much. That's kind of my point, though. We put so much stock in one person's individual worth based on the number of championships they've won. And when you flip that script, it just sounds so ridiculous. Well, we can revisit him in 10 years and see where he is. Right. We'll revisit that. You know, you talk about rings, and we always talk about Robert Ory. He's not in the Hall of Fame, right? But he's got, what, eight? Eight or nine rings? Yeah. And the, and the conversation about rings... Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe. You never hear Robert Horry. No. And he's got eight. Now, of course, the the ultimate is Bill Russell. They'll never get to that point. He's got 11, I think, or 12, something like that. Well, but, why do we always only uh, mention Bill Russell? Weren't there other Celtics out there that have multiple rings? Not like that, uh, Nick. There wasn't – there. no, not like that because he, he also – don't forget, he was a player coach for the Celtics – when they right. won a championship or two. so I mean, There's not a Celtic with like nine? I'm sure. I'm not going to say I'm sure there is. I don't know, to be honest with you. I've never I've never seen the rankings. I don't know how many Havlicek, Frank Ramsey, people like that. I don't know if anybody stuck around, one of the Jones boys, if they stuck around. There's probably some up there around seven or eight, but I'd have to look it up. I don't know for sure. It's a good point. But Russell is considered, we talk about Russell because of the fact that he's in double digits and not only was a player, but he was a player coach. And to be honest about it, the Celtics weren't winning anything until he came along. They had a good team, but they weren't a winning team until he came along. Havlicek has eight. That's a great point. Why do we always talk about how great Robert Ory is? Havlicek's got eight. Havlicek was a... Look, I don't want to take anything from Big Shot Ory, but Havlicek big shot was a Bob. great... Big shot He was a great... Havlicek was a great player... When he when he came out, he was also drafted to play football. Give me another name of one of those Celtics you mentioned. Uh, Casey Jones. Well, he got a couple as a coach, right? Yeah, so I, I'm wondering how many he has. 
Um, Casey has, according to this, eight. He has eight too. in his NBA career. I, wow. That does not include. Um, I don't think that includes look at, coaching. Look at, look at Nick diving into the uh, the past. Very good, Nick. Trying to give some recognition to people we don't talk much about. I try. You did. Um, let's say. See, Kuzi Kuzi was a great so, player, but he doesn't have that many because he didn't stick around that long when Russell came so along. So Casey Jones has eight as a player, one as an assistant with the Lakers, one as an assistant with Boston, and two as a coach, as the head coach for the Celtics. So he's got 12? Yes. So is he, he's got one more than Russell? According to what I'm reading here on NBA.com. Unbelievable! See, I never even realized that. I know, I know. Bill's your boy. That's your guy. I don't see documentaries on Casey Jones. Well, maybe they should do some. By the way, thanks to you, I, I tuned in Bill Walton's yesterday. Did you watch any of it? I did not. Those right. were episodes uh, three and four, three right? And four. How yeah. were they? I like, I like that kind of thing. I like that kind of programming. Um, I'm I'm very familiar with the Walton story, you know, how he entered a dark area, the injuries and things like that, how he contemplated, you know, suicide, you know, when he had all that, the, the spinal injuries, the foot injuries and so forth. I, I really admire what he has done. You know, he wound up broadcasting and yet he had a terrible stuttering problem coming through college. And I did not know that it was Marty Glickman who worked with him to get him to a point where he could go out there and become a broadcaster. Now, people make fun of him as a broadcaster because when he does a game, he hardly talks about the game. He's off sh- talking about the Grateful, Grateful Dead, Dead. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. But, no, I, I just learned Casey Jones has 12 rings. There you go. Heck with Bill Russell. Casey, Casey Jones, Jones. Better than Bill Russell. There you go. How about that? Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, so all this talk about Jordan with six and LeBron with what he's he's got five, right? I think. Listen, people, Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Better than LeBron. Is Casey in the Hall Hear of Fame? Hear me out. See, yeah, I agree with you there. But longevity, uh, maybe in 12 years. I mean, did you? We didn't, I didn't even know about this guy coming from Kansas. Had that one really good game in the postseason for Denver. And who knows? Maybe he, you know, he'll maybe he'll be around for a while, and maybe he'll he'll get another ring or two. Did we get a Did we get a winner on the Chick Fil A? Who won there, Nicholas? That would be Frank. Atta boy, Frank. Billy Thompson, Billy Thompson, Louisville, and then the Lakers back to back. So there goes your Chick Fil A right down the drain, Mark. Sorry. No, that's all. That good. was to be yours. It was. Uh, it's it. I'm I'm willing to sacrifice for our listeners. Well, I'm glad that we we have listeners this early in the morning. Well, you'd be surprised how many people listen to the show. No, I wouldn't be. I, I I understand that. They're out but, and about, man. But to take time to call us like that, very good. Uh, Nick, where do you stand on the whole running back issue? We undervalue, or or is the market about right for for running backs these days? Hmm. Based on I, everything they do. I don't think there's an issue in drafting a running back really high in the draft if they're that talented. Normally, that actually works out, you know, over half of the time. You know, Ezekiel Elliott, say what we want about him now, but his first five years in the league, he was a top five running back. Same with Todd Gurley, who was drafted early. Uh, Leonard Fournette, who was drafted early. He's still playing. I think think there's, I wouldn't say a comeback, but I think 
more general managers are looking like Dalvin Cook's out there, right? Somebody's got to take a flyer on him. He's had great years with Minnesota. He's only, what, 28 or something like that? That I, I, Najee Harris may think the position is being undervalued, although he is the key running back now for the Steelers. But I don't see why people feel that way. You got third and one, third and two or something like that. You better have yourself a pretty good running back to go with an offensive line because that, that's what wins games. Well, I agree with him in the sense that from a like a a job requirement standpoint, they do as much as any any other position on the field now. So from that perspective, I wholeheartedly agree with Najee Harris that the running back is way undervalued. Okay, in is fact, it undervalued? When, when he when back in the day when they were all taking him in the first round, I think that should still be the case. And this is a real unpopular take, but I think great quarterbacks can make receivers great. That's not to say that the reverse can't be true. I'm not suggesting that there aren't elite receivers out there. But you can make an ordinary or average NFL wide receiver good or great based on scheme, timing with your your quarterback, and and the greatness of a quarterback. Let me make this point. You can't say the same about a running back. When Najee Harris is talking like this, and again, since I didn't hear the interview, is he talking about the fact they don't carry the ball quite as much? Because like I said, back when, they used to carry 25 to 30 times a game. I mean, you could we could go back to the 60s, and you could name a team, and I could tell you who their running back was. I no, didn't. he's he's talking about their short shelf life in careers, right? And how... Um, well, the, the, the given time is four years. That's what they say. But there's a lot of running back. About Frank Gore was going strong up to the age of 37 or 38. Right. The thing is to stay healthy. If you can stay healthy, if you can stay on the field, you're going to stick around. Well, I mean, you look at the Titans. They're looking to trade Derrick Henry. Dalvin the, Cook. The Vikings cut Dalvin Cook. Uh, Zeke is off the Cowboys. It's like once they get Saquon was franchised. I mean, uh, he got the franchise tag. It's like once they get into that big deal, then all of a sudden teams are like, they're not worth it. It's like right when your rookie contract ends is right when the running backs start to kind of lose a step. And so I don't know if maybe they're asking too much in those big contracts or maybe they're getting paid too much, but. Once, like all those running backs I said, once they got their big deals, that's when it all fell off. The money See, goes Todd Gurley. The money goes to the quarterbacks, the running backs, as you pointed out, Nick, once they get to that next contract, teams don't want to spend that much because they feel they can go out and get another running back who maybe can be just as productive. I don't agree with that, but that's the thinking. Right, but I also I think it's also fair to say, yes, quarterbacks get big money, but that money that running backs, quarterbacks have always gotten uh pretty good money i think where that shift has gone to the receivers and receivers are the big money makers now and i think Najee's point and what i agree with is look at what receivers do and i'm not talking about the production and the numbers i'm talking about what their daily like asks are in a game whereas running backs are, are are also catching passes they're running they're blocking they're picking up blitzes like i i there is valuable if not more valuable to the success of an offense as a receiver, because again, they're picking up blitzes. So if you're looking to throw the ball 40 times a game, the quarterback's on their back because you can't pick up a blitz. It don't matter if, who the rod receiver is. And so I just think they're, it, it's kind of, I just think running backs might be maybe more versatile, might be the right word. Yeah, but I mean, you look at Detroit, right? 
I try we not had to. Jamal <laughs> Williams, who broke Ladanian Tomlinson's touchdown record, and they had DeAndre Swift. They got rid of both of them this offseason and bring in rookie Jameer Gibbs. Right. So, like, yes, they're versatile and important, but I think a rookie running back is able to do a lot of those things that even, like, a six-year running back could do. Well, I, I don't understand what the Lions— when you get a guy who can score 17 touchdowns, and look, I'm thankful for that because he's on the Saints now. 17 touchdowns, yeah. Uh, I think the Lions— Blackie Gold Super Bowl, baby! I don't know all the particulars. You know, it maybe has to do with the cap. Maybe it's a money situation or whatever. But uh, to, to give up a guy who's, who can get into the end zone like that, to me, doesn't make much sense. Now, again, it ha- a lot of it has to do with the money figures, the cap, getting under the cap, and, and things like that. But uh, he, I'm, I'm excited that he's with the Saints. Okay. Very good. And, we see, we don't know about Kamara's status yet. He's but, out there playing or practicing. I know. And, and nothing. How, how long does it take? Never happened. That's what I'm thinking. The court system in Vegas must be extremely focused. slow. This well, has been going on for two years now, his case. When's something going to happen? What's and the statute of limitations on this kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the betting line on that? What's um, the betting line in Vegas on that? In the app, Yogi Berra has 10 rings as a player and three as a coach. 13 total. Someone else said if we're evaluating them as a player, the coaching ring shouldn't be counted. No, I agree. We're just having a little fun. But we, uh, how many rings does Steve Kerr have? Hmm. How many rings does Steve Kerr have? That's a great question. Let me, of the three of us, uh, as a player, like four. He's got five as a player. It looks like, mm. and three as a coach. Um. Four. It looks like uh, so he's got nine total. Nine, nine. Pretty good. <laughs> All right, let's Not uh, too shabby. Let's take a break here as we uh, wrap up our number. We'll talk some college baseball. With Boyd Nation at uh, seven. Uh, Carter Bradley, South Alabama uh, quarterback, expected to join us at seven twenty. Chris Stewart, eight o'clock. Richie Riley, eight thirty. Tony Ruggiero, also in hour number three. Got a lot going on. Wrapping up hour number one next, right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hello, this is artist Daniel A. Moore. You are listening to WNSP Sports Radio. I look around the other teams here. I look at the other coaching staffs here and see what they do. Obviously, my wife laughs at me. Um... I got to meet Coach Shaven yesterday. I almost passed out in there. That was like a, that was in one of the more intimidating things I've ever been a part of. But what a special, what a special thing here. You got the best coach of all time right down, right down the street from us right here. Hey, it's 651. Welcome back in. Wrapping up hour number one of the opening kickoff here on the sports station WNSP. That's the new coach, uh, baseball coach at Alabama, Rob Vaughn, who coached at Maryland. Can you imagine if he had passed out? You'd have Nick Saban with smelling salts trying to revive him. Call, getting his uh his assistant. Yeah, come on, come on, get up there. Lee got another one down. <laughs> Going to talk now with a good friend of mine, Sarah Bumgarner. She's with Rich's Car Wash. Uh, they got over 30 locations in the Greater Mobile, Baldwin County area. Hey, Sarah. Good morning. How are you today? 
Hey guys, good morning. Great to have you on with us. So, what's that? Tell me about that special, that month-long uh, deal with unlimited car washes. I understand that's pretty popular. Yeah, so we have an unlimited wash club, and basically you pay one monthly fee, and you can come as many times during the month as you'd like and keep your car, you know, vehicle clean all the time. So any new locations uh, on the horizon? I know you've got over 30 going these days. Uh, Any new ones coming up? Well, we actually do. I know um, we've had a much-anticipated one at Azalea and uh, government that should be coming up. Um, we're hoping to have the you know plans finalized on that one soon and to start you know moving some dirt, as we like to say. But um, uh, we might have a couple more in the area, and then you know one in Nine Mile Road in Pensacola. So we uh, take care of our Pensacola peeps too. Sarah, what makes uh, Rich's Car Wash so special? How do they differ from others? You know, uh, I read all of our Google reviews, Lee, and let me tell you, we just get a lot. And um, one thing that I read all the time is how great our vacuums are, you know, that people love them because it gets all the little nooks and crannies, all the crumbs and everything. Um, I can't imagine, you know, hauling all these little athletes around how much, you know, dirt and crumbs there are in people's cars. Um, but, you know, we have the best chemicals, and we make sure that we leave your car clean when you come out. You don't ride around with, you know, spot bubbles and soap all over your vehicle, and uh, we just, we have a lot of people, um, you know, that rave about how great the actual wash is, and that's why they come to Rich's. Sarah, uh, congratulations uh, with Rich's Car Wash, continued success, and we'll check in with you soon. Have a great day today. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Y'all have fun. You know, as I was talking to her, I was thinking about the first time I ever went through a a car wash. I guess it was back when I was back in the 50s or so. I'll just never forget that experience because I had I was not didn't know much about it. And you got it it was it was different. I wasn't intimidated, but it was kind of almost kind of unique. I guess I was like eight or nine or ten. And it was at my in Massachusetts. My aunt took her car. To a car wash and we were in the back seat and I'm seeing all these flaps and everything and I'm like are we ever going to get out of here you made it we made it it's a little 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 unsure of yourself wasn't sure when the sud started hitting the yeah. car no, it, was no, it wasn't the sud so much as the those big flaps the big flaps striking the vehicle you'd be nightmares I could see where somebody like a uh, Kraken was on top yeah. of the car like release meeting, the Kraken be like meeting Nick Saban the flap monster uh you're stronger because of it now. Yeah, I they, think I think I came out of it pretty well. Well, you came out of it, but yes. Okay. That's interesting. I, I also heard that the flap monster was uh, Lee's nickname in high school growing up. Where did you, where did you hear that? Because I, I never did. Wasn't it in the yearbook? I thought it was yeah, in the yearbook. Yeah, I saw it. Were you like most likely to succeed? Like what was your what was your title? What was your little? I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, I don't think it was most likely to succeed. But I will say this. I know you will. And I can't guarantee it because I didn't follow the other 298 members of the class. But I wonder how many of them went into a profession which they said they wanted to go into. You know what I'm saying? That, well, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer or something. But, you know, something happened along the way. I'm guessing I was just a handful of somebody in the yearbook who said this is what I want to do and that's what I'm doing. We ought to start trying to track down 
uh, some of the people that Lee graduated. I've with. always been a fan of this idea. Absolutely. Bring them on. Be like, hey, did you remember having a class with Lee? That's right. I'd be like, who? With my book bag. We could do a we could do a segment like <laughs> Mr. Nerdy. Lee's oh, long time oh, friend. about Flap King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nerdy with my book bag walking from class to class. See, we had a campus. You know, you weren't in one building. You, no matter what the elements, you had to go outside and brave the elements, whether it was snowing, See, raining. You, so you went to school uphill literally from class to class. That's what I did. We're, like we're, Abraham we're, Lincoln. We're, uh, we're other, did other kids not have bags? You specified sure did. No, okay, so yeah. why were you, were, our, were you particularly community. nerdy? Our, our community that we sent, we were latecomers there. We didn't go there until our sophomore year, I think it was. And you had the one community that was considered the, the athlete. Yeah, we were. The one community was the athletes. Allendale was more students, athletes, slash Upper Saddle River was just students, nerdy students. Nerdy students. Hmm. So were you? Uh, did you have a book bag or was it a? Oh no, there's just a regular bag like I have now. I, I we didn't have book bags in those days, like uh. what you're talking about, the kind they have today, where people just put it on their uh, back, the knapsack. Yeah. The back, yeah, the, the backpack on the back. So what, Nick? What was your on your uh, yearbook most likely to what? I won class clown. I could see that. But it was I wasn't like a disruptive class clown. I was a very witty class clown. It's too bad you haven't been able to keep that going here. Yeah, I actually peaked in fifth grade when I was student <laughs> council vice president. Oh, that brings up memories. Sixth grade. I got to be the uh, president of the class, mm -hmm. and then my family yanked me out midway through when we moved, and I was so disappointed. I was like the president. I had won a spelling bee, and before you know it, we moved away. So I, the winner of the spelling bee got to be president? I was the president. Because you won the spelling bee? Is that what you ran on? And no. I will spell all these <laughs> words correct, people. The Extra most important recess. word to spell today is vote. Yes. So Nick, were you were you like plotting to to knock off the president so you could me? No, no, I like the president. We we were get cool. him on the monkey we, bars. We I'll come up behind together. him. <laughs> but when I was in ninth grade, I was in student council and I actually got impeached. What? what? Now this I believe. Wait a yeah. How do you get impeached? impeached. So you, what'd you do to get impeached? Allegedly, allegedly. How do you get impeached? You have a vote? It was... We're coming up to a break. I'll get into it later, potentially, if we have time. Write it down so we don't forget this. We need to find out. How does a student get impeached? Ninth grade, student council secretary. What did you do? Like, abscond with the funds? Uh, I think... <laughs> did you embezzle? I, I signed an NDA. <laughs> yeah. All right. Void Nation next. Stay with us. Is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 704, hour number two here. 
Learning a lot about my uh, colleagues here at WNSP. Apparently, student council was big in elementary school, but only one of them managed to get... No, one got pulled by a parent. The other one got impeached. We'll have to get into that in a little bit later in the hour. Yeah, but here's the other thing, too. What do you have to show? Nothing. You didn't get elected to anything. I, uh, what were you, like, least likely to succeed or something ooh, like good that? one. Uh, yet clown. here I am. I'm right every day. Here I I was, I was proving them wrong. Look at me. Here I am sitting with you guys, student that, council so what people. Is that, so what does that insinuate? Yeah, I, here we are at the same place. No one's any better or any Charity worse. Charity work is a tax write-off. Is that what that is? At 7.30, we will find out at 7.30, 7.35, why Nick was impeached. Okay. And All right, we'll, we'll leave it at that. All right, in the headlines, Lord Stanley's Cup. Uh, resides in Las Vegas as the Golden Knights uh, winning yesterday nine to three. That's right. I that's like a baseball score nine to three over the Florida Panthers. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Oakland had over twenty seven thousand fans. Now you got to understand they only average about five thousand a game, but they had one of these reverse boycotts because the team is planning to move to Vegas and the Nevada Senate has approved a stadium. Doesn't when you say Lord's Stanley Cup, I love it. It sounds so condescending. It's the Stanley Cup. It's, it's Lord, the cup. It's Lord Stanley. It was named the after Lord Stanley, Stanley Cup. I, it's so official. It's the best eh, trophy in any sport. Okay. All right. Uh, also, uh, Rickwood Park, uh, the oldest stadium in America, reportedly will be the site for the Field of Dreams game in Major League Baseball in 2024 with the Giants and Cardinals. All right. Let's talk to Boyd Nation now. Boyd's World. Eight teams left. For the College World Series. Boyd, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Hey, Lee. It's not Boyd. It's Jim Nagy. Good morning. Oh, boy. Did I... <laughs> How did I do that? Let me... I don't know. I, I crashed the... Uh, I called Nick. I just jumped in on you guys. No. That's Nick, okay. Nick called me, man. I'm just answering the phone. <laughs> yeah. I put in your name. Nick, Jim, I am so sorry. Well, as long as oh, we good. have you on, no, I'm not going to let you go. Okay, so we, we can do, <laughs> talk about a royal screw-up, thanks to uh, me. Yeah, how you been? I'm good, I'm good. Been up uh, up at Auburn the last couple of days for uh, freshman orientation. You want to you have a wake-up call that makes you feel old. Take your, take your kid to college uh, orientation. Oh, I remember those days. Hey, as, I'm glad, as long as I have you on, we're going to have Carter Bradley coming on in just a few minutes. You've had a chance to evaluate him. What what can you tell us about him? Uh, yeah, he's got uh, he's definitely got an NFL arm. There's no doubt about that. Um, and that was that was pretty obvious the first time I saw him throw it out of practice. I want to say it was like last August, and then uh, you put on the tape, and he can he can really throw it now. I mean, he's going to be up there in this in this year's quarterback class, right up there with anyone uh, with his ability just to. to basically hit any part of the football field um and one of the one of the great things over the last couple of years with pro day workouts in the spring is uh, you know the nfl in the in college football have gotten together uh, and they're now allowing underclassmen to work out at those pro days so it's letting a lot of a lot of the young quarterbacks throw um and carter was at the south alabama pro day this year throwing to jalen wayne and uh, threw a couple beautiful deep balls that day that really kind of got the attention of an NFL scout. So, um, yeah, just keep putting together wins. You know, they're coming off that double-digit win season, and and uh, got pretty much everyone coming back except Jalen Wade and, and Darrell Luter. 
um, on a really good 10-win football team. So um, if Carter just keeps doing what he's doing, he's going he's gonna to be on plenty of NFL radars. I know that any scouts that were at that pro day that saw him throw, they're going to be making their way back to Mobile to see him this fall. Jim Nagy is the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. Before I forget, you got a big event coming up, the Hall of Fame uh, golf tournament. Any positions still available or are you all filled up? Uh, we've got 21 out of 22 foursomes filled, um, so we're we're good. We don't we don't want to. Um, if we had another foursome out there that wanted to participate, they can go to seniorbowl.com. Um, and that's it. We want to cap it. We don't want to slow down the pace of play. That's uh, you never you, you never want people coming to play in a golf tournament and then standing around the tee box. So uh, we got one more foursome we could we could unload. Um, you know, and the great thing with, with the golf event is, one, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a blast. We have a lot of guys that play in these type of turn, celebrity tournaments, and um, they, they just they think this is the, the best one just because it's really a, a party atmosphere out there. It's, it's not a not a stuffy event by any means. It's a lot of fun. But uh, the biggest thing is all, all the money goes to our local high school football teams in the area. So, um, you know, I think last year we, we gave a check for $65,000, and that benefited 13 local high schools. Uh, to really address whatever needs they have. I mean, every every program has different needs, whether it be jerseys or pants or or technology needs or things of that nature. And uh, and we try to we try to help them out. We can. This is our this is our our biggest fundraiser of the year when it comes to uh, our local high school team. Hey Jim, uh, thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw <laughs> Najee Harris's comments. He was basically advocating for running backs and kind of questioned the whole narrative about. Uh, short shelf lives and all that. I- I'm curious. Does he have a point? Uh, he's he's kind of going going against the current trend of of uh, you know devaluing running backs. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he cited Dalvin Cook is coming off multiple 1,000 yard seasons. Uh, you know, he he mentioned uh, as you know Ezekiel Elliott was released. Saquon's being fr- uh, got the franchise tag now and. I think the point is that these guys are as valuable as they've ever been, even as we go wide open offenses, right? Because not only do they have to to run the ball, they get, they're they're in a pass pro, they're they're going out for uh, you know, in routes. That yet there's this narrative that you know they're kind of a dime a dozen, and and you don't have to draft them early, and uh, they're not getting paid. At least from from his perspective, is do you agree with any of what he's saying? Well, I think the uh, I think the analytics crew has has really pushed that push that that uh these guys are being overvalued um and when you when you can hit on guys late in the draft as a lot of teams have when you when you get six seven round picks and undrafted trades to come in and and post the ball and are productive players yeah it, it hurts the guys up top and it hurts the guys you want to pay um but i'll say this like it, it, gone are the days of the guys that can't catch the football and stay on the field on third down i mean we don't those guys those guys can't play anymore really those guys have really been de- undervalued, but I mean, if you have a guy like Alvin Kamara that can stay on the field all three downs, and I mean, Alvin's a little bit different. You know, he and Christian McCaffrey. I mean, there's a, there's a few of them that can detach and run routes as a wide receiver. Those guys are incredibly valuable. So, um, yeah, it's, it's you know, unfortunately, Mark, you know, that position, those guys get beat up physically probably more than any position on the football field. And then they're devalued on draft day, and they're also devalued on their second contract. You're not seeing any. You're not seeing most of these guys um, get big second paydays. I mean, Saquon's been great, um, and now you're seeing Saquon go through a little, a little contract negotiation here. So we'll see what he ends up getting. But yeah, I mean, the running back spot. I do feel for those guys. That's why if, if, if my son were a big time running back, 
um, in high school or at the youth level, I would I would want to flip him on the other side of the ball and make him a linebacker. Uh, yeah. Same thing with Ray. If my, if my son were a big-time high school wide receiver right now, I think I'd be moving him to corner. Um, just because corners are – wide receivers are a dime a dozen. If you came down to the Senior Bowl office right now and lifted our board, um, there's a million wide receivers up there and, and very few corners. So uh, um, that's a whole that's a whole separate conversation, Mark. So we don't need to go we don't need to go down that road. Senior Bowl Executive Director Jim Nagy. Jim, we've talked about this, but I don't really know the answer to this. I'm glad it happened. You follow the Lions closer than we do. Why did they let Jamal Williams go? And now with 17 touchdowns last year, we talk about you know running backs and devaluating, and now he's with the Saints. But why would you let a guy go who's had 17 touchdowns in one season? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know that one from the outside looking in. There's got to be a reason. Because um, you know, just from watching the hard knocks last year, I, I didn't see every episode, but the ones I did watch. I mean, Jamal seemed kind of like he was the heart and soul of that football team. Um, you know, a real leader, obviously a productive player with all his touchdowns. Um, and then they brought in a guy that was a really kind of similar style running back in David Montgomery from Chicago so um, you know usually you, you pay your guys that are kind of culture guys and, and tone setter type guys which Jamal seemed like he was um, again just from that show maybe that show was deceiving I don't know um, but yeah that was that was an interesting move it really was you know for for a program that just preaches toughness and physicality and everything Jamal brought that to that football team so uh, don't know but that uh, sure was a good pickup for for the New Orleans Saints because he is such a contrast in style for, for New Orleans to what Alvin Kamara is that um, that's what you're striving for as a front office is to get complimentary styles at running back and and uh, Jeff Ireland and Mickey Loomis certainly did that with uh, bringing Jamal in this offseason. Jim, thanks for jumping aboard with us uh, and enjoy the college visit, sir. Um, it, it, uh, it'll be memorable, I have no doubt. All right, guys. Sorry, uh, sorry, I busted in on your on your party. I don't know what you're getting ready to talk about, but uh, have a good rest of your week. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Have a good one. Thank you. Actually, yeah. it worked out real well with Carter Bradley due up next to get Jim's take on that. So, actually, my mistake I think turned out pretty good. <laughs> so basically, what Lee is saying, because I like to put words in his mouth, even when he's wrong, I'm he's right. right. There you go. Now that is that's good words. Thank you. All right, we are uh, 15 or so minutes away from finding out how Nick got impeached as the secretary of his student council as a freshman. I still got beef with Miss Miller, if you're out there listening. What's her first name? Mm, I don't know. Try and Google Miss Miller MGM. Is that we get? We need to get both sides of the story now. I'm just saying, she has a right what, to the defend right herself. one and the wrong one. <laughs> If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. All right, stay with us. This is Will Herring, a member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNST 
720. A welcome back in. The opening kickoff continues here on the Sports Station. And this segment is brought to you by South Alabama Athletics, uh, connecting the city to the campus, the campus being uh, Hancock-Whitney Stadium, for the opening game, home game, September 9th. And you can get your tickets at usajaguars.com slash tickets. Let's welcome in the quarterback of the South Alabama Jags, the aforementioned Carter Bradley, who Jim Nagy just talked about. Carter, welcome to the morning show. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Great to, um, to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on. So what's going on these days? Uh, are you in training now? And if so, what are you doing? Yeah, summer program is in uh, full effect. The guys are back on campus. Uh, you know, it's a wonderful time. I mean, I feel like this is one of the best times of the year is just being and going through summer workouts in the summer program, lifting with the guys. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, an exciting time for sure. We're so happy to have you on and, of course, looking forward to another great season of Jaguar football with you at quarterback. Tell us about the invitation to the Manning camp and what you're going to be doing there. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, it's a it's an honor to be, you know, one of the quarterbacks selected to go there and be a counselor for a couple of days. Uh, I get to work with some kids, uh, you know, train them, work with them at, at this Manning camp, and then, you know, other college quarterbacks are going to be there, so we're going to have some college sessions, some throwing sessions at night with Eli and uh, with Peyton um, and some other guys that are there that are help coaching um, who've had some experience in the league and just coaching quarterbacks. So um, just working with kids and then getting an opportunity to throw with the other college quarterbacks at night. I think we have a little pro day, um, but it's going to be an awesome event. You know, I've only heard great things. I mean, this is, you know, what I've dreamed of, you know, kind of going into college, you know, I've always looked at the Manning Passing Academy as something, you know, um, as one of my goals to get invited to. And, you know, it's a, um, it's a, I feel like a great goal that I uh, achieved and I'm excited to get down there. Carter Bradley is our guest here on WNSP. Give him a follow on Twitter at Carter Bradley 10. So uh, the folks over at QB country, David Morris, says this, South Alabama quarterback Carter Bradley can throw it with anyone in America. What's your reaction to a statement like that? <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I believe I can. Uh, you know, I don't really like to boast about myself too much. I don't really like to, you know, I just kind of go out and play. It's kind of my motto. I'm old school. Um, but I feel like uh, not only... Uh, I can throw it with the best. I can play with the best. I feel like, you know, my teammates allow me to have that opportunity to do that. Uh, but, you know, I think Coach Applewhite last year and, um, you know, my teammates allowed me to show it kind of off my arm. And um, I just feel like, you know, when the opportunity comes for me to show off my arm and do what I need to do, I feel like I can throw it with the best and play with the best. How far can you throw the football accurately? Um, so the farthest I've thrown it, I mean, I feel like I got good control of, you know, where I can put the ball and where I want to put the ball. I feel like the farthest I've thrown, what I know is the farthest I have is 74 yards. Now, do we have a receiver on that team that can go catch it? Oh, we got plenty of them. We got plenty of them. That's for sure. So Carter, does this off season feel different? Because of the success that you guys had last year, is the is the expectation different? Is the grind different? I think it is. I think you know. I was actually you know thinking about that going into this off season or going into summer program and just how spring felt. 
and then now we got a couple of days under our belt, a couple OTAs under our belt. I just feel like, you know, going in, guys' mindsets are a whole lot different from just last year, and having, you know, another year under, you know, my belt uh, with Applewhite in this offense, but guys having another two to three years under him, I think, you know, just the mindset's a whole lot different. You know, we're a whole lot more comfortable with each other. We understand what we're trying to do, what we're trying to get done. I just feel like, you know, guys are moving at a great speed right now. They're comfortable. They're confident. Um, you know, it's going to be exciting to see, though. But it, sure. is, it, is it also the confidence? I mean, all players are confident, but the idea that you know you can get it done based on the 10 wins the year before, does that does that kind of add to maybe the excitement or the confidence of, 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 the, of the upcoming season? 1,000%. Yeah, we understand that we can get it done. We understand that we got great players and um, – you know, we can win ball games, but it's the fact that can we look back at last year, get some of the detailed things that we didn't accomplish last year, um, and get those done this year, you know, making it not a 10-win season, but, you know, 14-win season, like changing that perspective on winning every game, but winning, you know, week one is that is what we're worried about. So I think just changing those details, making sure we're more intense on, you know, the, uh, the OTAs and, uh, just the little details of things. I think that's what we're really focused on right now, and guys are they're bought in. Carter Bradley joining us. Uh, by the way, when is the Manning camp? Is it another week or two, or when are we? What are we looking at? Yeah, so it's like that June twenty second weekend, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So it's the second uh, to last weekend of June. Okay, will you stay away from that so night? Coming up here soon. You stay away from that nightlife in Thibodeau, okay? You don't want to get involved with that. Yeah. I'm teasing, of course. I'm teasing, of course. So let me ask you this. I did, you've had a year of experience. You've shown what you can do. Ten-win season. Most of the offense, I believe, is coming back. Do the offensive coaches now getting more input from you? Do you have much of a, a, a take or able to give some input as to what you want to do this coming season as far as the offense and plays and things like that? Um, I think I'm just, you know, another set of eyes. You know, I can not only for, like, just for the coaches on the field standpoint, when they leave, I feel like they got enough trust in me to where, you know, me and Dez and Tanner, we got enough experience in the offense. We can handle the group. We can take charge. We can, you know, hey, we can do the install. We've we've gone through it enough times to where, you know, Applewhite trusts us and, um, you know, thinks very highly of us to where we can go out and we can say, hey, this is what we're doing, you know, detail-wise, why we want to do this. Um, so I feel like, you know, I'm just another set of eyes, you know, in the room, game planning. Um, you know, I don't say much because I don't feel like that's my my place, but I definitely feel like me and Applewhite have a great relationship to where we can definitely um, just talk ball and, and it's very comfortable. We can talk to what's, what do I like and what do I not like, but um, yeah, that's what I feel. What's your dad saying these days uh, about your talents? Uh, I mean, not much. Just stay healthy, keep working, get a lower body on me. Um, and just continue to, you know, make guys better around me, and that's exactly what I'm trying to do. So, but not much. He's so busy with OTAs. Yeah, he's uh, still assisting. Who's he with now, uh, Gus Bradley? It, uh, Indianapolis Colts. Oh, and they've been looking for. Well, they have a quarterback now in Richardson, right? Yes, sir. Hey, uh, Carter, always appreciate it. Before we let you go, though, I'm curious. So, what are you, what are you doing when you're not balling? When you're not playing football? What do, what do you do to relax? Besides come on radio shows early in the morning. Hey, there's not much. There's not much. Football is pretty much all I've known. Uh, it's what I've grown up doing. Uh, it's either, you know, watching football, doing something with football, 
maybe walk the dog here and there. I like to fish. I love to fish. Uh, but, you know, football's, you know, the center point right now is, you know, a job for me, so I need to get that done. So there's not much, you know, relaxation or uh, stuff like that. But, I mean, football's where I find peace and stuff like that. So I always look to football. I always go to football. Um, you know, it's I got no plan B. So... Hey, well, we know you got to run. We appreciate the time. Uh, we have to get you in studio, man. I think uh, we gotta we gotta put that accuracy to a test. I think we need to compete. We'll get a tire out there, and between me, Lee, and Nick in there, we'll see which one of us can uh, give you a run for your money. Hey, we can do that. We can throw darts. We can do whatever you want, and uh, it would be a pleasure to come in there. The only darts I throw are at Lee, so uh, if you're willing to partake in that, man, I'm good to go. Thanks for the time, man. Best of luck. We'll, we'll talk soon. I appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. That's South Alabama quarterback Carter Bradley. Uh, We come back. We will find out, I think, or at least Nick's version on why he was impeached. Ninth grade. Ninth grade year as the student council secretary. Details are going to be juicy. The unauthorized biography coming out to a bookstore near you. It's the opening kickoff. Stay with us. And I think, too, that I can say that in my years of public life, that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. 7.32. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee, we, um, we now present former secretary of the student council at Mary Montgomery, Nick Wiggins. Nick, good morning. Please uh, state your case on uh, the impeachment process back as a freshman. Yeah, so ladies and gentlemen of the jury, (laughs) when I was impeached from my position, my last run at student council, since then I've had time to reflect on it and why I was impeached. And I think there was some... Some wrongdoings on the side of uh, the student council leadership, Miss Miller, to be specific. So there was these things where you'd get demerits, right? And if you got ten demerits, you would be impeached. And I'm in ninth grade. Ninth graders can't drive cars. All right, Mark, I don't know how old you were in ninth grade. Maybe you could, but I couldn't. I was 18. All right, so yeah. It took him a while to get out of ninth grade. Yeah. So you'd get two demerits for every meeting that you were late to, but every meeting started at 6.30 a.m. My bus didn't come and pick my butt up until 6.50 a.m. And what the heck is my mom? My mom's not going to get up early and take me to a student council meeting. She's got a life to live and work to go to. We were a hard-working American middle-class family. Well, then you shouldn't have run for office. So I'd get to the meetings late. I'd tell my bus driver, hey, I can't wait in the bus line. You got to just let me out. I got to run up in there. He'd be like, okay, you're the future of this country. I admire your uh, tenacity and your workmanship. I said thanks. All right, so while you so were then- – are you? go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. You're filibustering over there. So then on one meeting, 
She says, hey, guys, we're about halfway through the year. I'm going to go around and give, give everyone their, like, demerit sheet. How many demerits do we all have? And I'm sitting there looking at some of my um, colleagues. Sure, in the, in the student council. Yeah. And they're all kind of looking at me like something bad might be coming to you, yeah. old Nick Wiggins. And I get my paper, and I had, like, 20-something demerits. Most demerits she'd ever seen. I broke the record. Congratulations, by the way. And so she, <laughs> after the meeting, she calls me up to her desk, and she's like, you got too many. You're out. And so then I pled my case that I just did. Right. About my mom having a job. Very convincing. Contributing to uh, and how you're you a know, middle class family. society, yeah. paying her tax yeah. dollars. Yeah. And she had a rather cold response to me. I think I kind of got on her nerves a little bit really? when I was in there. Well, you do have that ability, so from what I understand. So, if listening to you, and first of all, I'm kind of curious why you wanted to be, the, what does a secretary do in the student council? Do you just take notes? You get out of class sometimes, <laughs> and you get to, uh, I remember we did like a canned food drive. We, we traveled around Sims and gave... Uh, Families canned food items. But I'm at the meeting, fun. though, what, uh, isn't a secretary the one who takes the notes and then gives everybody a copy or something like that? Or no, is it different at Mary G? Or was? You know, kind of similar to the How does he know he wasn't there? political landscape. Well, he was there in the beginning. The positions and titles are all more just figurehead positions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so that's kind of more of what it was. So, um, Mark, if we gave demerits about coming in late, because rarely does he come in before six. But he gets here before the show starts. Well, the show is going on merits. while he's here. He's supposed to be here before it actually starts. I'm not sure it's in his contract. I am here before it starts. So, uh, Miss Miller, correct? Yeah. All right. There are two Miss Millers on the uh, MGMVikings.com staff. Uh, I know she doesn't work there anymore. Uh, I don't. I'm not buying that for a second. What's her first name? I don't know. Does it start with a B? I will say this, though. Here's a funny story. Start with that. Oh, he's pivoting. No, 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 no. What's her name? We're going to get her on and see if this holds true. I don't know her first name. How do you not know the teacher's first name? Because I, I just called her. Never there, there on time there is a Miller in leadership on the website. <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> All right. I don't know. Maybe we'll reach out on behalf of WNSP and see if we can get her on and see if this is the same one that impeached Nick. As a ninth grade. So it was, it was based on demerits, though. It wasn't like they took a vote or anything like that. You just piled up demerits. Yeah. Because if there, if it went to a vote, I'd still be in there today. Because they loved me. Because you were the class clown? And that's what you said. You said that's what you I were. I provided intelligent and witty banter. Maybe some people just couldn't handle it. When you were there. Yeah. <laughs> when you were there. Yeah. Maybe right. some people can't handle not being the smartest person in the room. Okay, so uh, I'm glad I yielded the remainder of my time to the distinguished gentleman from Sims. <laughs> Lee, on the other hand, not only uh, took the presidency. Oh, I was really ticked. He then took it home with him and never came back. <laughs> well, my parents. You got pulled. Your parents impeached you. They did. Like, you know, I, halfway through the school year. They moved to another community. Couldn't they at least wait till the end of the year? Did you not explain to your parents that your presidency, your term ran through the end of the year? You ever hear about going in deaf ears one ear and out the other? That's about the effect it That's had. That's how I live my life on this show. Well, you don't even listen. Hmm? 
Yeah, that's what I said. So, Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have this little thing about, you know, being totally on time. I could see where you'd be late. I really could to your uh, student council meeting because barely you get here just barely in the nick of time for this Clever. show. Clever. Now, for the record, Nick is here on time every day. <laughs> never been late. He's never been late. Our mics have always been on. That's right. You show me another anywhere uh, a station where the board op comes in just as the show is beginning. That just does not happen. They're usually in a half hour before. I feel like before. This, is, this is something that bothers you, Lee. You, you, always, you, you seem yeah. to bring it up. Well, you know how I am about time and everything, being on time. Well, your definition of being on time is it's being 15, two hours early. Yeah, two hours early. I was going to say 15 minutes. I'm not requiring that of them. Have you ever been late to uh, a broadcast, Lee? No. You're like a minute late or something? Nope. Never, not Never. once. Nope. Well, look, we have something in common. <laughs> well, and and Mark, you never had the, let's say, the uh, pleasure of being voted on for anything in school, grand, grammar school, high school. Serve? Did you serve? Did I serve? <laughs> I'm not talking about refreshments during a break or um, anything like that. Did you ever get uh, nominated or picked I council? Nothing really comes to mind. Uh, it's all right. I'm just curious. No big deal. I think there were some summer camps where we did some voting stuff that I got voted for. But best swimmer? No, those were award given. I mean, those were those were uh, those were earned. Those weren't. Uh, so, Nick, did you make a comeback sophomore year or later on to get another office, or that was no, it? I, I was so um, appalled by. Uh, how things were handled, that I decided to end my political career uh, in that moment. So the demerits were basically political assassination, right? Political ass assassination, shots at my character. And look, this isn't the first time when I was in fifth grade. How's it, how's it a shot at your character? You were indeed late. I mean, it's not. It wasn't my fault, though. <laughs> See, you, you have excuses when for I, No, I'm serious. You have if you're serving on a governing body and you're late that many times. All right, but why is but it some why is if it you're waiting on your mom to give you a ride? So let me ask you this. When 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 you got when when you when you won the election and Miss Miller, who might still be working there, said, All right, guys, we're meeting at six thirty, did you go like raise your hand and be like, uh, that might be an issue for me? I'm pretty sure I did. And then I'm pretty sure the response was, oh, well. Hmm. But look, when I was in uh, fifth grade and was on student council, me and Jawan McDowell, shout out Jawan wherever you are nowadays, cool guy back then. Uh, we do this. Uh, Maybe not morning, so much now. <laughs> we do the morning <laughs> announcements together. Yeah. And we got in a lot of trouble because, and I don't even know if I should be saying this, but just think of the innocent mind of a fifth grader. Okay. It was 9-11. Oof. And we were like, man, what a, what a day to honor our country and everyone who served and stands for what America believes in. So when we do the Pledge of Allegiance, we're going to grab a big, giant American flag and, like, wave it behind us. Like in the movies, you know what I'm saying? Right. Flapping in the wind. Yeah, yeah. Like for some dramatic cinematic right. effect to maybe to stir up the patriotism inside the hearts of the student body. Yeah. We got called to the office because apparently some uh, teachers found that incredibly offensive. 
Hmm. You mean on the same day as the the 9/11? Is that what you're talking it wasn't about? The same day as 9/11. I thought that's what you're referring. I mean, that on the like, same saying, time like, the that act, that happened. It wasn't like September 11th, 2001, but it was like 2006. But still, they they were um. They didn't appreciate. It. They thought it was in bad taste. That tracks. And you. I just want to say, did we say anything to the librarian who ha- held the camera and was like, "Good job"? <laughs> do you uh, do you owe any money from books that you failed to give back to the library? Or are you still hanging on to those? What's the librarian's name? We'll get her on the show yeah. too. That I don't. That I for a fact don't know. Shocking! You wouldn't know who works in the library. But uh. Throughout my political career, I've had my uh, name smeared in in multiple instances. So, and you kind of like let in. Wasn't that Richard Nixon or some semblance of Richard Nixon? So you associated yourself with him. No, I like to think I'm more of a Jimmy Carter. I'm a kind-hearted guy with good intentions, but everyone just craps on no, me. No, but he was never. Impe- <laughs> no, but he, no. Here's the point: Carter was never impeached. Nixon was. Maybe I'm more Clinton then. Okay. Yikes. I did not have yeah. sexual relations with yeah. that woman. All right, let's take a break. Please. Uh, Mr. President, Mr. Secretary, <laughs> um, has MGM ever recovered from that impeachment? I'm about to get the principal so. on and talk a little bit about the requirements for SGA over at MGM. Let's get Chip on the phone. Let's figure this out. <laughs> Let's figure this out. I wonder if we could retroactively somehow, you know, get you back in the good graces. Yeah, re- reinstate me. Yeah. Give me the key to the school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys can uh, jump in when we come back. 694-1055. Najee Harris has a problem with the narrative concerning running backs in the NFL. Do you? Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSB 105.5. Swing and a miss. He got him. And the A's have won seven in a row. Celebration on the field. Celebration on the speakers. So at 748, there was a reverse boycott. So let me see if I can get some clarity here. The A's are leaving because fans were, in part, because attendance was so bad. So the fans rebelled and showed up. To stick it to the A's. Well, to a degree. They're trying to show the community that they really do want Oakland to stay. But here's, there's a lot that goes. You have to dive really deep into this. Let's go one. deep, deep, Let's deep. go deep. First of all. I'll hold my breath. The A, This is not official yet. Major League Baseball has not voted yet to allow the A's to move. Vegas or Nevada's Senate yesterday, while this is going on, basically timeline being different, approved $380 million for a funded stadium, of which, of course, the owner of the uh, A's would pick up the rest of it. This is a first step 
towards moving this franchise. And so next step, it goes to the assembly. Then if it's passed there, it goes to the governor for a bill. So here's the deal. This is why, first of all, for those who don't know, Oakland was not the original site. They were in Kansas City years ago. Then they moved to Oakland, and they've had really poor ownership. Owners just, whatever reason, they don't care. They don't, there's, it's not fan-friendly. Ballplayers always complaining about the locker rooms, about the animals that go around there, and it's, it's just a dump. It's a dumping ground. It really is. That's why the Raiders, you know, moved out. Just It's, it's just a dumping ground. Um, it's kind of a shame because the current owner has been tanking. And by that, I mean, and he's not the first, trading away good players and nothing to show for it. Former former showgirl Rachel Phelps. Yes. And now they've won seven in a row. But don't forget, prior to that, they had the the worst record in baseball. They still do. But they have won seven in a row. And as Mark, you pointed out, 27,000 fans banded together uh, and went to the show. We'll show them who's boss. Yeah. And so the mayor... The, the whole sticking point, quite frankly, there's one sticking point. Oakland will not move ahead and give them a new stadium. That's really what the sticking point is. Oakland is long, the, the ownership, the, and in fairness to the owners, they've wanted to put a stadium in there, and they have not gotten approval. And it's basically, you know, Mark, if I can go back to my days Please. Uh, in uh, New Jersey, Please. when the Dodgers left, mm-hmm. when the Dodgers went to Los Angeles because New York, would not approve a new stadium for then the Brooklyn Dodgers. And when the Dodgers decided, well, okay, fine. So we're going to take our team. And then he got the Giants to go with him. And that's how the Los Angeles Dodgers and San Francisco Giants were born. Because back in the, uh, let's see, uh, they went in 1957. They moved because uh, New York would not go ahead and give Brooklyn a new stadium or approve this, the d- details that were all set up because Brooklyn wanted to stay and they had all these designs and everything. So Oakland, they just won't, they won't give in and, and, and they won't approve a new stadium. So that's why the owner wants to move in fairness to him, although he has done a terrible job, you know, trading good players and, and leaving them with a hardly a, a good cast of players. But I, you know, the fans are frustrated. So they usually average 5,000, Yesterday they had 27,000. I doubt you'll see that again. My, okay, so after all of that background, and that was quite a mouthful, what what are the fans hoping to achieve with their reverse boycott, I guess well, would be my you question. Know, they already lost the Golden State Warriors. They're in San Francisco now. Right. Which is where they, they originated. They lost the Raiders. Right. They're in Vegas now. Right. This is just them holding on to that last bit of hope of relevancy and having a large, uh, you know, professional sports team in your city. But is they weren't supporting the team prior. I don't understand well, how you're, you're 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 sticking it to the franchise that That's you don't society, support by man. wait for it supporting them. Now, Ooh, football, good one. But the football, but football did support them. The Raiders. And then, of course, you know what Al Davis once did. He took the team and went to Los Angeles. Then he came back to Oakland. And obviously the owner of the Raiders, who's Al Davis's son, he sees more money in Vegas. Uh, Jeremy in the app says, A disastrous political career that leads to a job in media. Triple G is the American dream. How about that? Thank you. I appreciate that, and I hope I can uh, get your support and your vote in my upcoming campaign. 
Maybe I'll run for mayor of Mobile. What would be your uh, platform? Platform there. Always on time. Uh, would you probably be on time on for the meetings? Wooden. Could you like make it to the, the meetings on, the on time or something? Or are you saying platform like that? I'm speaking yeah, about, we're, we're, not on. What are you about, Triple G? Why would the people vote for you? I am much like you. I'm a common man. And, you know, in today's political landscape, everyone's all far on one side. They seem to be only be looking out for themselves. And the only self that I'm looking out for is... Y'all selves. <laughs> the community of Mobile... I'm I'm a normal guy, man. Would you be able to make it to the meetings on time on Tuesdays? Oh, I Boy. put one sock on, one shoe on, one sock on, one shoe on, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> I put almond milk in my cereal in the morning, just like you do. Oh, what a platform. Yes. You guys can jump in on the conversation. I think that's what we're having as a conversation. At Vote for me if you want a water park. And, a, and uh, one of those top golf basketball places. Shoot, I'll bring a Dave and Buster's. <laughs> and I'll give everybody a $20,000 raise. <laughs> We're going to have to get Miss Miller on the phone. What uh, was she thinking? Yeah, I think she's thinking she made the right call. Chris Stewart's going to join us at 8 o'clock, Tony Ruggiero at 8.20, and Richie Riley at 8.30. All right, so does does Najee Harris have a point on the running back narrative? On the, Doesn't understand why running backs these days have a short sh uh, shelf life uh, and feels like that narrative might be uh, overplayed. overplayed. Running backs are incredibly important, but you can find them in a lot of places. See that's but see that's the thinking today. Rather than sign one running back who might be a little bit better, uh, a name running back, well, we'll just go and get two or three, and that way we just rotate them and and so forth. That's what most teams are doing these days instead of concentrating on just the one great running back. Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we have that same mindset with receivers? It's different, man. It's a I, thank you. Pick. Why though? <laughs> I mean, look at Dalvin Cook, for example. I'm like, looking at him. Right. Huge deal. Probably worth that deal, right, based on his output. Yet he got released. I don't think he was worth the deal. I've never been that big of a Dalvin Cook guy. Like, he's good, but he's not top five running back in the NFL. All right, Saquon. He got franchise tag, mm -hmm. right? Which, obviously, no player likes. But, I mean, there's, there's an elite running back. They're going to be sorry if they lose him. If they're placing all their marbles on Daniel Jones to lead them, to me, they need a running back as good as Saquon Barkley. Here's the deal, though. If he stays healthy, he's had a, he's had a bunch of injuries during his career. When he's, when he's healthy, he is one of the best running backs. But that being said, he's had he's, – and that's the problem with the running back position because they get banged up and beaten up so much. And, you know, can they – you know, it's a little – it's a little bit different today with those big linemen and how quick they are and everything. So the, you say the longevity of running back is just based on staying healthy. If you, and that's true with any position in the NFL. You stick around if you're healthy and you're giving them something on the field. Did you see where the Patriots just released a running back? 
<laughs> that they had yeah, for just James three Robinson. months. Three yeah. months. They had him for three months and released him. Yeah. They just signed him, and he was a pretty good running back. Not a great one, but a good one. I mean, you look at a wide receiver, a great wide receiver, they're going to have probably a 10-year career. Okay. Great running back. Might be six years, and that'd be pretty good of elite play. Right? You're getting hit a lot more as a running back. Your chance of injury is a lot higher. And then, I mean, we've seen it like when running backs get hurt, these star running backs, all of a sudden, oh, here's Tony Pollard. Oh, is this Tony Pollard guy even that much worse than Ezekiel Elliott? No, based so, on what I saw last year, he's better than Ezekiel Elliott right now. Right. And, of course, it all boils down to having a very good offensive line also. And if you don't have a good offensive line, it doesn't matter who your running back is. But and you could make Aaron the same. Rodgers was on the Packers last year. Yeah. And they didn't really have a good wide receiver. And Aaron Rodgers didn't really have that good a year. And he'll tell you that his receiving core was buns. But I think the point about the running back, though, is as a guy that does multiple things for your team, shouldn't they be compensated as such? I mean, I, show me a guy on the on the offense other than the quarterback that does as much as a running back does. I would say that the 30th best running back in the NFL is more similar to the best running back in the NFL than the 30th best wide receiver, receiver is, is to, to the, the best wide receiver. Yeah. Hmm. Like, there's a reason that, like, there's all these different running backs who get, like, 80 rushing yards a game. Tyler Algier, a rookie... He had a thousand rushing yards. Yeah, but season. you can't but be no looking one, at a no running, running back. Guys just having Justin Jefferson numbers every. But year. you can't be you can't be looking at just rushing yards. That's my point about a running back. A running back is in pass pro. He's he's getting uh he's looking for matchups and they're 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 motioning him out. So not only is he blocking and running, but he's catching balls now. And they have to be every down backs if they even want to be in the league anymore. I would say it's tougher to be a running back today than it was back in the day because of all the things that you're asked to do. And I think Najee's point is why aren't guys being compensated for that? Chris Stewart's next right here on the Sports Station WNSP. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 804, welcome back in. Hour number three is going to be a busy one, so strap in. Uh, Tony Ruggiero at 8.20, Richie Riley at 8.30. Uh, and, of course, uh, you can continue in the app at WNSP.com. But we turn our attention now to the one and only Chris Stewart, voice of the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide baseball team, coming back from the Super Regionals. Chris, good morning, and thanks for joining us again. We really appreciate it. How you doing? Guys, I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me. Have you ever called a game like Sundays where you had, what, 12 home runs? You know, there probably have been. I don't remember one off the top of my head, um, but there were a bunch, there, and there certainly weren't enough from our team, that's for sure. But it was uh, it was still less painful than the day before, I know that. 
And that's because why? The, the, the day before. What, uh, what, what bring us up to date on why that was more painful loss? Well, it's, it's a 5-4 loss where you got a couple of plays either way. You got a, you got a check swing. I think it was the seventh, maybe. Uh, check swing, you think, is a strike three. It's called a, it's called a no swing. The next pitch is a home run. Um, to give them, uh, I think, a two-run lead, maybe. It's time if it was a one-run or a two-run lead, but whatever it was, it, it turned out to be, you know, a, a very pivotal play. And then you get an umpire who tosses a coach after that. So it just, it was a lot of things that compounded. And that, and please don't misunderstand me, that's not the, that's not why you lose the ball game. It's just, it's one of those things that in the moment, in the time, uh, a 5-4 period, regardless of how you come about it, a 5-4 loss stings more than the 22-5 to to me because you're, you've got a chance to win that one. And if you win that game, 22-5 to maybe doesn't happen. Or if it does, then you're still coming back on Sunday with a chance to, to finish it off and get the win. And so uh, that's why I say the, the one the day before, which was very winnable, um, hurts a lot more than the one where you're you're at the launching pad instead. Chris Stewart's voice of uh, Crimson Tide uh, baseball, also basketball. So let me ask you this. Did you attend the press conference for the new coach yesterday? Yeah, I did. Give us give us uh, your impressions. Not a part of it. Yeah, uh, give us your impressions of Rob Vaughn. No, I I think he's uh, you know I'm not to the age now where all of them are young. It's it's weird. I need Coach Saban to stick around for a long time, not just because he's the best ever, but because he's the last coach that I deal with. It's uh, older than I am, so it makes me feel a little better. But no, uh, did not know much at all. Uh, about Rob Vaughn until the press release came out that he was the new head baseball coach at Alabama. Uh, not only what you read, but also in talking with some people that I know in the business that I respect tremendously. Uh, very high regard for this guy, and certainly the resume is impressive at a place like Maryland that you don't normally think of as a baseball uh, program and power, but to win uh I think it's 40-plus games, three straight years, win a couple of league titles, get coach of the year in a, in a conference uh, such as the Big Ten. It's, it's impressive. And it's not just the three years, but it's the body of work. In a, you know, granted, a, a small sample size, but what he's done throughout his career, the improvement he's made, the, uh, the manner in which he goes about his business, the the I guess the path to get there are all things that are impressive. And a guy that that believes in, understands, and loves work uh, because Alabama is a job where you got to work really hard. Um, not that you don't everywhere, please, you know, obviously. But 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 there are there are some things about the Alabama job relative to the SEC that requires you to to go with the extra elbow grease to get it done. And uh, he's a guy that's shown he's willing and capable of doing that. He gave a couple of comments he made. Uh, one was when he was talking about recruiting. He said, "Look, uh, you know, I, I'm not just after the best shortstop. I mean, you know, every everybody does stuff like that. I want to prepare my my players to be great fathers and everything. I don't think yeah. I've ever heard a coach say something like that." Yeah, I've heard a few, but he's uh, he's a guy that that kind of gets the big picture 
still at a young age. Um, he's uh, very much a high character guy, uh, very much somebody who who seems to walk what he says and, and believe what he says. Um, again, people that I talk to that that know him or know of him uh, rave about him. His other and, comment. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Keep, keep going. No, no, no. That's fine. Yeah, the other comment basically was basically just saying. His other comment was about Nick Saban, how he almost fainted. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you, what was your first meeting like with Nick Saban? Uh, that's a good question. I remember being in the room for his introductory press conference. And, uh, and <laughs> I remember being in the, press, in the press conference. And when it was over, I turned to the guy sitting next to me. And I said, uh, well, there's a new sheriff in town. And my friend responded, yep, and her name is Miss Terry. Uh, because she had interrupted him about three or four times during the press conference to interject some things. But it was it was pretty good and turned out to be spot on. But, but no, uh, with Coach, um, you know, I, I remember doing the very first TV show with him when I, when I followed uh, Jim Dunaway as the, the host of the show. And, um, you know, there's times you get tested uh, to make sure that I think there was a there was a deal where Tom wanted to, uh, Tom was adamant. Tom Roberts was the producer of the show, and he said he was adamant. You ask him one question, and then you move to the next segment. And I said, okay. I, I thought that was a little bit, I don't know, coach is not a, you know, chit-chat kind of guy, but I, even on air, I thought, okay, well, maybe there's a couple of questions that we go with before we move into a, a recorded segment. And so we did it that way. I, I did the hello, well, Nick Saban, I'm Chris Stewart. Coach, and I don't remember what the question was, but I'm sure it was a softball, and it's just something to set him up about talking about the off season. And then I go right into, from that, I go right into the recorded segment once he finishes his answer. And Coach goes, is that the way we're supposed to do it? And I looked at Tom, and Tom said, oh, yeah, Coach. And he goes, okay. So we do the part coming out of that segment where I ask one question of him, and then we go to the commercial break. And when I, when I do that, Coach goes, I don't like this. Doesn't sound natural, and then he turns and looks at me and he goes, "Not the way we've done it in the past." And I looked at Tom, and Tom had the "uh-oh" look on his face, and I just went, "Coach, I agree." Yeah. And he goes, "Well, let's." He goes, "Well, let's start over." And Tom goes, "Okay, Coach, we'll do it." You know, going forward, he goes, "No, I want to start the show over. I want to do it over again. It doesn't sound natural." And uh, I said. Coach, I agree with you. We got it. So we started. I said, let's start over from the top. So we did, and I followed up with a with a question based off of something that he'd said. Whatever it was, it wasn't anything, you know, high drama or anything like that. But from that point forward, I love Tom, respect Tom, but by golly, I was the one taking the bullet. So I did it the way I felt Coach wanted it done. And let me be real quick to say. That can sometimes change occasionally with the show from week to week, but you just kind of flow, go with it. 
he is normally a creature of habit, so you go that way. But uh, I've found, especially in those settings, when it comes to to coaches, he's going to take the time to do a show, to do an interview, whatever it is, whatever he's involved with. He wants to do it well. He wants to do it right. He wants it to be the best he can. So I certainly make sure that in addition to not wasting time, we make sure we do it the very best that we can. You do the best that you can, Chris, and we appreciate that. Before I let you go, we talked yesterday about the report about that North Dakota State Center. Nelson might be coming to Alabama. Has there been any further word on that uh, for the basketball team? Nothing. Yeah, nothing official. Everything I'm hearing still looks good, uh, but nothing is apparently definitive yet. I'm, I'm kind of like everybody else, been sitting on go, ready uh, to see that happen. We'll, we'll feel really good if we get get that to transpire, but what I'm told uh, is that everything is going the right direction. It's it's just not quite official yet. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I was going to ask you before we get you, let you go, man. What, what's on? You always got a full plate. What, what's your plate looking like now that baseball's over? There's there's nothing stranger than when it ends, and normally um, it is okay. Now what? other than go to the golf course with a 12-year-old. But it is, and in fact, that's what I did when I got done. When I got done, um, what did we play, Sunday? I got in the car, or I got back to the hotel, um, threw everything in the bag, and actually got out of the hotel before the team got back there on the bus. I didn't get a chance to tell them goodbye because I needed to get on the road. I drove to Winston-Salem, and I was driving to the Alabama FCA golf tournament in Montgomery that was going to take place on Monday, and I wanted to get to the other side of Atlanta, get to LaGrange, spend the night, and drive on to Montgomery from there. And my son met me, and uh, uh, we, had a, uh, we had a great time in that. And then yesterday I had the press conference, and when I got back, met him for golf again. Now I'm about to take him to a golf tournament if the rain will hold off. So we're, uh, it, it, it's a lot of golf this time of year for the Stewarts, some alumni groups that I'll be speaking to. Um, there'll be some other things that we do family-wise, but it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of time at the golf course, and I'm very grateful for it. It leads into our next guest. Uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, U.S. Open out in Los Angeles, Chris. Great stuff. Hey, really appreciate you coming awesome. on. Thanks to Dex Imaging, and we'll check in with you next yes, uh, Wednesday, okay? Guys, always appreciate you and appreciate Dex, and we will talk soon. Thanks, Chris. All right, take care. All right, that's Chris Stewart, the voice of the Crimson Tide. We come back with Tony Ruggiero and then Richie Riley. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. The opening kickoff just chugging along here on a Wednesday edition. Stay with us. This is Bo Manning, my co-producer of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. If you're listening to WNSP 105.5 Mobile. In some cases, international airwaves uh, on first take right here. Number one, business is business. Trust no one. Number two, follow the money. Trust no one and follow the money. Does PGA Tour Commissioner... Jay Monahan looked absolutely positively trifling. Yes, he does. 
You know what? He was preaching and giving that song. And 821, Stephen A. Smith there. There's his thoughts. It's the opening kickoff. We're going to get some thoughts on uh, a number of golf issues now. The U.S. Open uh, will start up tomorrow. The Los Angeles Country Club, our good friend and the uh, host of the Dew Sweepers, which you can hear Saturdays from 7 to 8 right here on WNSP. Tony Ruggiero is on the line with us right now. Tony, first of all, how are you feeling these days? Everything okay? I'm feeling a little, yeah, I'm feeling a little better this morning. Had a chest cold, got a chest cold and all that kind of stuff. And uh, <clears throat> it comes with being outside, I guess, all the time. But uh, feeling a little better this morning and excited to be on with y'all. We're headed to the golf course now. Really? So not being a doctor, flying doesn't help those things, at least in my experience, when you have a chest cold, no. having flying like you did. No. So what attracted you to go out to, obviously you must have a golfer or two that's uh, competing. Yes, yes. I have Ben Carr, uh, finished, you know, he was a finalist at the United States Amateur last year. Uh, he has an invite into this. He's turning pro on Monday after he's finished with the amateur. Um so he's exempt into it, so he's playing. And so we're uh, Jackson Court, who you hear all the time on the Dew Sweepers with me on Saturday mornings, is with me, and we're uh, headed out to the golf course now. What do you know? Of, uh, we'll get more into it tomorrow because you will have had the chance to walk and, and, and see and give us the real first hand. But, but what's, I saw the golf course yesterday. I did get to see it Okay, because so, I've heard great uh, things about all day. What is so unique about this golf course? It's, you know, one, it's not one that's been played in the U.S. Open or in a major type of event that people have seen in quite a long time. Obviously, where it is is in Los Angeles, so there's a lot of media attention. But, uh, you know, it's a little different than your typical U.S. Open venue. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it'll, it's long in yardage, but, um, you know, it won't play. I don't think it plays quite as long because the fairways are extremely firm and fast. Uh, but I thought the fairways are fairly generously wide. But now when you do miss them, the rough is, is Bermuda rough, similar to what we're accustomed to at home. Um, <clears throat> you can get some good lies, uh, but it's not, you know, it's not just automatic hit in the rough. You can't get it to the green. But I would say that the rough and the grass around the green is, uh, is extremely difficult and oftentimes unplayable, hard to get it, sometimes not able to get it on the green, much less close. So it's going to be a really good test. From what I could see, the USAGA has a really uh, a neat sense of humor. Did they match up um, Kepka and McElroy in the first two days? Yeah, with Hideki, those three are, uh, you know, USGA always does kind of do some fun, if you will, be the word I depends on uh, who you're asking, pairings. Uh, but, yeah, they put those uh, those three together and, you know, uh, but, I mean, again, it'll be business as usual. But, I mean, Brooks and Brooks and Rory, obviously, on opposite sides of the live field. But they're also friends, and they've played a good bit of golf together down in Palm Beach. So, uh, you know, uh, it'll be an exciting pair for folks to watch. He's Tony Ruggiero. He joins us here on WNSP. Tony, I got to ask, as a teacher, as a coach, where do you stand on the idea of preparing your guys – to celebrate without a champagne bottle and with security present. Like, where do you stand on that whole thing? Well, I mean, if you get to the point where you got somebody, you're standing there that late on a Sunday, I think you let anything go. Obviously, <laughs> that happened with Adam Hadwin was crazy. I mean, you, you know, obviously, security just try to do their job. And I guess, you know, they're not used to see it. And I'm the same way. I see these guys that week in, week out. I'm out here 30 weeks a year. Uh, 
you know, you see them all the time in their golf clothes, you know, with their hats on and the logos. And, you know, you, you see a lot of these guys with, that, with just their regular street clothes on there, a little bit anonymous. So those mistakes happen for sure. Had you seen this ever happen before, though, where somebody getting tackled on the green? No, no. Uh-uh. It was probably, that was, you know, it was pretty good. The guy might get drafted. Yeah. Tony, did you also, I mentioned about the USGA has a good sense of humor. Did you see what they did with Hadwin when he came out there? They gave him a security vest and a hard hat? Yeah, they, they you know, they're playing it up a little bit. I think, uh, uh, I mean, you know, everybody's trying to lighten the mood a little bit after, I think, what's been going on the last year or so from golf. So, uh, obviously, we'll get to this tomorrow. You'll actually be out there tomorrow, too, when they start. So, uh, a favorite. Give us your top three right now to be around at the finish. You know, I, again, I think Scotty Scheffler would keep put every time we talk, but he's always up there. And I think Brooks Kepka. I mean, we uh, there's going to be a great dish sweepers on uh, Saturday morning. Uh, we, we've got several of the caddies from, that are out there. I mean, and it's... You know, other than their player, I mean, everybody thinks Scotty's going to be in the mix. So, uh, I think, you know, Scotty Scheffler, I think Brooks Koepka is going to be up there. Uh, I like Colin Maratawa. I think he, he played a lot of golf here. Uh, you know, so I think I think you got those three and John Rahm. I mean, the you know, U.S. Open, always something could happen. But the best players in the world, like I said a couple weeks ago for the PGA, are all playing really good golf. I mean, there's not, you know, not like uh, – uh, you've got a guy that's one of the top two or three players in the world, and, and he has had a month or two of not good golf. They've all played really, really well, won stuff, been in contention. So, uh, and then the way the golf course sets up, and I think everybody's been looking to this test of golf and, and coming to LA. So, you know, I think the best players in the world always find a way to get their games ready at the right time, and, and I don't think this will be any different. I, we may, I hope we don't run out of time in this, but how important are the caddies in a major like this? I mean, caddies are incredibly important in every tournament, right? They're the only person inside the ropes with you. I mean, they're kind of the eyes and ears of a coach uh, for us. Uh, and, and, you know, normally, I mean, obviously we've got different situations out there, but they have close relationships with the players. Uh, so they know how to help calm the player down. They know how to keep them focused on the right things. Uh, you know, more importantly, you know, I think when adversity happens out there, which is going to happen in every golfer's career, in every golfer's round and tournament, you know, they help the player deal with adversity and make good decisions and, and not get too emotional or overreact. So I think they're uh, highly underrated, uh, you know, by the golfing public or the sports public. But for those of us that are out there, you know how important they are. Tony, great stuff, man. I always appreciate you jumping aboard. Enjoy the, uh, the attorney. I know, I know we're going to talk soon, but, uh, again, thanks for your time, and, and we'll be in touch. Absolutely, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. That's Tony Ruggiero. All right, up next, South Alabama basketball coach Richie Riley set to join us. We'll get his take on all things sports and pop culture. Golf. Maybe. Yeah, he's big into golf. I heard. Our sons are. I heard. Uh, so we'll get into all that. Continue your comments in the app, WNSP.com. Still plenty left here on a Wednesday edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP.
32. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff continues. Lee, big smile on his face every time he hears that music. I love that song. I would just watch the movie just to hear the music. Or I could just Google it. Not even have to watch the movie again since I know what happens. But anyway, this segment brought to you by Kemco Metal Builders. Uh, we're hoping to get Richie Riley to join us, not only to talk basketball about the NBA, but also, uh, as you know, if you've listened to uh, Richie Riley, he's really into golf now because his sons are, and I'm sure he's got some thoughts on the uh, Los Angeles Open. This will be one of the uh, U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country. Oh, I was like, what? Yeah, what? Really. what do we do? This will be one of the very few times, I think, where we really can't update what's going on with the time difference there. I don't know what time they're going to tee off. Usually they tee off at 7 at most tournaments, which would be, uh, let's say, 9 o'clock here with the two-hour time difference between us and Los Angeles. But I haven't seen tee times yet, but uh, we're not going to obviously have as much information as we normally do. But Tony, who was just on with us, he will rejoin us tomorrow. We'll have a longer segment with him and get more details on this particular uh, course, which is supposed to play very, very long. All right, uh, so we've been uh, talking about a number of uh, topics. The the value of an NFL running back after Najee Harris's comments, uh, if you want to get in on that, I tend to agree. I, I do think we undervalue what um, – well, there, there are two things. There, there are two issues here. I do think that we undervalue the role of a running back, but I tend to agree with the status quo about the shelf life of, of, of a running back. Um, Clearly, uh, there's a longer shelf life for receivers. I did think Jim Nagy's comments were interesting that uh, cornerbacks and linebackers, you know, I he almost gave the impression that cornerbacks in the next few years might be the next receiver in terms of money and, um, and uh, priority, I think. You know, we, we've shifted from that whole running back to receiver. It might now be a receiver to cornerback at some point. So, uh, But anyway, it's been a big topic of conversation. The illustrious political careers of both Lee Shervanian and uh, Nick Wiggins have been discussed at length. Um, Lee had his presidency just taken from him basically by, uh, by his parents. They just said, you know what, I don't care if you're president, we're moving. And, uh, and Nick was impeached for too many demerits. Well, how Which, would, how would you feel? It doesn't you know, surprise me. How would you feel? You're in the middle of your sixth grade. You're the president of the class. <laughs> you know everybody. And at midseason, they yank me. Midterm. To a, midterm. That's and they, right. they, they moved me to a community, which we only had like two other houses on the street. I didn't know anybody in, in school. It was a much tougher school, which I didn't know it at the time. But did you walk in being like, yo, I was a president of my last school, so listen up. I got ideas for this new place. No, hardly. I was like very timid going into that situation because you're walking into a school system at midterm. There can't be anything worse. Why'd they move you midterm? I have because that's when they decided we had to move. I don't know. I didn't question that. I had no say in it. And they knew you were the president. Of course they did, sure. All right. Richie on? We have Richie. Oh, good. We can talk some really good stuff with Richie now, the head coach of the South Alabama Jags. Coach, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great, guys. Good morning to y'all. One of the issues that came out of Denver's win was Jokic not being thrilled about sticking around for the game-winning parade, but getting back to Serbia. 
to be with his family, and and I've heard and his horses. Don't and forget his horses. That. The horses are priority. Yeah, and I and I've heard it both ways. I was curious from the from a coaching standpoint, the parade Thursday tomorrow. Do you think it's important? team to stick together and for the your star to be there or are you okay with them just packing in and say look i got the job the job is done i want to go back to serbia i think at this level that i coach at the collegiate level it would be you know mandatory that they're there and they're together and it all those things but at that level there's so many moving parts and the way that the way that dude played i feel like he was going to be with his horses in serbia and not go to the parade i think that parade just let him go uh because everything at that level is about negotiation. I know they got him locked in for three or four years, but you want to have that guy locked in until the end of his career. And um, and he, he's a selfless guy. It's you know some guys you look at out there what they say and how they act, and you can tell it's more about them. You know, with him and nothing, nothing is about him. It's about the team. And you know, I mean, I think if he's got a good reason he wants to go home, I'd probably let him go home, man. I mean, he's the ultimate team guy. From a basketball standpoint, what did you like best about the uh, finals? What did you like least? I really enjoyed the finals. I know it wasn't, you know, necessarily your your name brand teams that, you know, a lot of people may want to see in that final. But the basketball was beautiful. Um, the way Denver plays, it's just so fun to watch. I've watched them all year. And the way they play the game, the ball movement, the player movement, the unselfishness. Obviously, they got arguably the best player on the planet right now, um, and a ton of really good role guys. And then Miami plays the game the right way. Tough guys, um, underdogs, and they were fun to watch the run that they made. Um, the, the, the thing I would like to see more, I would like to see some closer endings. Um, that was we usually see some some games that go to, to the final possession. This series, we just didn't have it. You know, all, all the games were kind of decided down the stretch, and, you know, we didn't get to see the drama that you want to see in the NBA final. But, you know, it's credit to Denver how much better they were than everybody else. Uh, and I don't think they're going anywhere. They got those guys under contract. They got to figure out if they can somehow get Brown back. I kind of doubt they will. He's going to really get paid somewhere. But, you know, they'll have to replace him with maybe a somebody on the vet minimum, really good veteran guy trying to win a championship. But all, all their key guys are back, and they're back for a long time. South Alabama coach Richie Riley, our guest here on WNSP. All right, coach, help me out. So there's a story out on ESPN today about Nick Saban and his, and his youth camp, and there's video of him on the field doing the exercises with the youth, right, with the players, with the kids. Like, he's getting involved, right? And then I go to South Alabama's basketball Twitter account, and I see your guys just grinding in the sand, in the dirt, and they're running all these uh, gassers, it looks like, in the heat in the middle of the day. I do not see Richie Riley out there running with his guys. Well, you see me You see me at camp riding around with their guys, and you see me at other places, but you can't catch me in the sand pit because I might not come out of it. <laughs> I, might, I, might, I might not make it out of there. The, the, the work that they were putting in, I think it was Friday morning. Hey, I don't think I would make it out of that. So none of us need that. I think I think our guys hopefully enjoy playing for me, and I definitely enjoy coaching them. Um, so they they don't need me in there. Now there is times we do campus runs, and I'm I'm involved in that. You know, a two three mile run. 
Um, okay. We do, a, we do a team retreat every fall where we do a bunch of team building stuff, and I'm involved in all that. But the sand is a little too intense for me at age 40 <laughs> with my conditioning and my athleticism. It's not a good idea that I climb in there with them. The uh, NCAA says they're going to crack down on flopping in women's basketball. They're going to assess like a technical after the first uh, reprimand. Is flopping prevalent in men's basketball on the on the court? Do you, is is that an issue? Yeah, it's a huge issue. It's brutal. Yeah, you know, you got guys flopping defensively all the time, um, and a lot of times they get bailed out with charge calls. You know, especially on the ball. You know, they're flopping all over the place. But the, one of the biggest issues we have is on jump shots. Like when guys raise up to shoot it, they'll shoot it and fall down. And some guys have a terrible habit of that. Like, I break all our guys of that immediately. If we if we happen to recruit a guy that that does that, you know, because, number one, you get guys hurt, you know, when you're flopping around and you're contesting the shot, you come down on top of them. Um, and it's awful. Now, they have cut down on that some. You know, they give the flop warning on a technical. But, yeah, it's it's bad. Man, it gets bad in the NBA. You see guys flopping around like crazy. They go back and review it, you know, or or some guys get fined for doing it, you know, after they review it on the film. I mean, it's bad, really bad. So I, I'm glad that you're doing that. Well, and to your point uh, with the falling on the uh, Jimmy Butler, uh, he tried to kick out, and they reviewed it and actually upheld it, and everybody was like, "What? Are, what are y'all seeing? It just didn't make any sense because nobody." Nobody really touched him. I, I hate the falling, but I hate the kick out more than I hate the falling. I know usually it's one and the same with some guys, but that drives me nuts. I hate the kick out, yeah. And I think I think the call on that, you know, watching it over and over, you know, showed it a million times. I feel like Gordon didn't give him room to land. And I kind of, I kind of like that rule, too, because guys can test these shots and yeah. get up under guys. They don't put room to land. And um, I, I think that was the ruling they made, that he just got up underneath him a little bit. Um, I don't think he actually fouled him because he kicked his foot out and he kicked Gordon. But I don't think he gave him sufficient room to land, so I think that was a call. I always feel like, guy, and I don't know because I'm not athletic enough to, to jump that high, Coach, but it just seems like the guys that fall and kick out, Seems like it would take away from your natural body, like muscle memory of shooting. Like it seems like it would take away from your ability to make shots when you're when you're trying to consciously do that during or after your shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not going to be a consistent shooter when you're trying to do that too much. If you shoot ten shots and you do that eight times, you're not going to consistently make shots. And if you're lucky, you may get one call like that and that's that's what we tell our guys you know we've had a few in recent memory we haven't had too many but you know my first few years here we had some guys that consistently were trying to do that you know and that was that was back when Harden was doing it all the time he used to get fouled two or three times a game shooting threes by kicking that leg out and you know, faking some of that contact, but it's starting to kind of trend out more, which is a good thing. I don't think, I don't think anybody enjoyed all the fouls called by guys kicking their legs out. So, getting back to that flopping, though, you mentioned it's prevalent in the men's game. Do you have players who do that, or do you coach against that uh, during the preseason, or do you take issue with any of your players that do it? Yeah, I don't want our guys doing it. You know, I always. 
we we don't we tell her you don't do that. You know, you if you're open, you shoot the ball, and you shoot the same way every time. You know, same footprints, jump up, shoot it in, land, land where you take off, and live with the result. That's kind of how we do it. And then in, in scouting reports, when we play somebody, you see it on film. You know, we always make sure guys are aware of who it is, and you know, we don't want to get any. We want to give guys three free throws um, by them kicking their leg out, so we're real aware of it. And we make sure that we're disciplined in our contests um, so that we don't get any of those fouls. Are there any, if you were on the committee, the NCAA Basketball Committee on Rules, is there any one particular rule that you would like to introduce or make sure that they could pass something that you think could really improve the game? Richie, if you say advancing the ball after a timeout, I'm gonna ha- we're going to hang up on you. I'm, I'm going to disconnect the phone. <laughs> I do like that. That's not my number one. I do like that. I would, I would love, I would love to increase the fouls from five to six. I like see. the NBA. Thank you. I would, I would love, I'd love to have six, just because you know you come to watch the dudes play, man. You know, and too many times in the college game, you know, I, I don't necessarily do this, but too many times when a guy gets two fouls in the first five minutes of the game, he, you know, coaches set him the whole first half and then they come in the second half they get number three in the first six minutes and then they're you know it's just you know, I, don't, I don't think it hurts anything you know some traditionalists would say you know it's always been five leave it at five I just don't think it hurts anything I think the game is about the players and when I watch a game you know as a you know more as a fan than a coach when I'm watching two teams play that you know, we don't play. I'm not scouting. I'm just watching for the joy of the game. And I want to see the best players play. You know, I want to see them out there. I want to see them being aggressive. And, um, you know, too many times games are are kind of kind of ruined because foul trouble. And it still could be foul trouble at six, don't get me wrong. But I think, I think a cushion of having that extra foul allows your best players to be on the court more. So that's, that's probably my number one. To, to that point, though, and I'm sure you've heard that the high school, it's a national high school rule now. They're changing uh, free throws in high school games. Instead of seven and ten a half, it's going to be five a quarter and ten for the half to get into bonus and double bonus. Are you Do you like that idea? Does that change, does that change how teams attack uh, opponents? I like that. I think you should be rewarded for drawing fouls. I think that's one of the things that's that's overlooked, you know, in in basketball a lot of times is the value of having guys that can draw fouls, you know, to get the other team in foul trouble, but also get to the bonus and get, you know, some shooting fouls and get two free throws. Uh, You know, we preach all the time we want to win that free throw battle. We want to shoot more than the other team. obviously make more than another team. Uh, so I like that. You know, we're talking about high school basketball. I would love to see a shot clock implemented. I don't know exactly how you do that um, across the board because financially some places may not be able to do that. But yeah. I think in states, if you can somehow get the money where the state association takes care of everybody's shot clock, you know, whether it's through donations, um, you know, sponsorships from from, you know, prominent companies in your state that, you know, when you put their name on every shot clock um, across the state, I, I would love for that because I think it helps kids so much. It helps the flow of the game and it helps guys get ready for the next level. Um, I, I would love for there to be shot clocks implemented throughout high school basketball. I think it would be, I think it would be awesome for the game. 
Richie Riley, who, when he's not uh, concentrating on basketball, the Riley family very much invested in golf. So this coming weekend, the third major, the U.S. Open, who's the uh, Riley family rooting for? Trust me, we've talked about nonstop. And and Rock is getting that way, too, because Rock's playing tournament golf now. He's six. So he's really got... You know, developing a passion for it, but Reese talks about it all the time. Me and him have we left flag football practice yesterday, and we talked about it for the 20 minute ride home. Um, you know, my pick to to win it is Colin Morikawa. Um, yeah, the Los Angeles Country Club is a brutal stretch. I mean, it, this could end up being some of the highest scores, in my opinion, that we see as a winner. You know, I know there's been a couple plus ones that have won the U.S. Open in the history of golf. I, I think this may be one of those where, where somebody, you know, that's in the positive ends up winning. I mean, I think it's going to be that tough. And I think he's, he's such a good ball striker. Um, his discipline to keep himself out of trouble. You know, sometimes he struggles when, when scores are really low. He's not a guy that goes out there and is a, a birdie machine necessarily. So when it's, when it's a slate that's easier to score on it's harder for him to win those but this one is going to be who can keep their stuff out of trouble so i like him i know reese really likes shoffley and i do too you know he's, he's kind of cutting the same cloth and then out of the live guys you can't count Kepka out um i think dustin johnson has proven in u.s opens he's he's always a threat um I think I think those guys, and then hey, as good as Sheffler and Rahm are, um, I think you know you got to count them. But the field is incredible. The one thing about these majors and now moving forward with the PGA Tour, or whatever they're going to call it, moving forward next year, is these guys are back, and there's so many great golfers, young golfers, veteran guys, and when you put them all on one course, like we're seeing this weekend. It's elite level golf, so there's there's a lot of guys you can say, but those those are the guys that really stick out to me having a legitimate chance to be there on Sunday. Richie, I, I saw your future last weekend. By the way, I, I don't know if it's going to be Rock, maybe it's going to be Reese. One of them are going to win a tournament, and that'll be you celebrating on the green with a bottle of something, champagne, and someone's going to form tackle you and take you to the ground, and it's gonna it's gonna go viral, and we're gonna have a good laugh about it. I don't know when it's gonna happen. But that was you. That that's you in like ten years. You're exactly right. And and I would have if one of my boys went a PGA tour event one of these days, I would have the same reaction as Adam Hadwin did. I would get up and I would smile and I'd give the dude a big hug. I could care less. <laughs> at, that, at that moment I don't care I don't care if he picked me up Richie and did. suplexed me out on the eighteenth green. <laughs> I, I'm all good. Um, I'm all good. That would be that would be the uh, That'd be the pinnacle, man, if, if one of my kids can ever make it to that level, especially win a tournament. You see what the USGA did with Hadwin? Uh, he's out in Los Angeles, of course, for the U.S. Open. They gave him a hard hat and a security vest. <laughs> they took care of it him. It was hilarious, though. No, really, I, they I did. Talking, like, Reese, Reese, Reese was like, why would why would they do that? Why would they tackle him? You know, it's Adam Adlin, you know. And I was like, did you see what he looked like? He looked like a normal dude. It wasn't like he'd already changed his clothes. That security guy, I mean, some random dude runs out with a big bottle of champagne, spraying it all over the place. And you got to do your job and tackle the dude. You know, but it was, he had to handled it really well. And um, I, I think, too, it shows the relationship these guys have. You know, obviously they're both Canadian, him and Nick Taylor both. 
but these guys are, you know, grow up playing against each other. You know, Reese is playing against some guys. They're, I mean, saying it's the best in the country. I mean, next week we go to the the Nationals, uh, and he's playing up against older kids. But there's going to be some of these kids play on the PGA Tour. And, you know, these guys we watch, they did the same thing as kids. So it's really cool to see the relationship piece that, you know, you get over all these years playing golf together. Hey, uh, we got to run, but I want to let everybody know, speaking of normal-looking guys, you need to follow Richie Riley on Twitter because earlier this month, it's at USA Jags Coach RR. His, his lovely wife, Jess, who's been on our show, is in some picture back on uh, June 5th. The, the picture about 13 years old. Uh, she is in a picture with some very, very, very normal-looking guy. What a stud that guy was, man. <laughs> what, a, what a stud that guy was. I wish I could go back and be that guy just for one day, then I return to my normal life. But, man, I you know I, I look at that picture all the time. I still can't believe that, that she decided to marry me. I mean, golly, what a, what a rough-looking dude I was. Still am, but, you know, I, I was able to... I was, I was able to get the job done, though, and, you know, convince her to marry me. But, yeah, that, I, I, something, I knew you would like that yeah. throwback picture. Well, yeah, we, we knew you were a recruiter, was, uh, but uh, this picture only confirms that you're a hell of a recruiter. Congratulations. Happy anniversary to you and, and your wife. Elite. Elite. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Richie Riley, ladies and gentlemen. Back uh, with a real short segment. We'll wrap things up here on uh, another edition of the opening kickoff. This is Cornelius Bennett, three-time All-American College Football Hall of Fame, and you're listening to WNSP. minute or two here but a huge night coming up tonight and we'll have it all covered for you tomorrow um, in the opening kickoff yep get rid of baseball for me tonight it's all about the sec 2000 uh yeah two, <laughs> say, 2024 schedule excuse me 2024 schedule tonight the sec network six o'clock a one-hour show where they're going to go through i guess well i know i guess every team and you'll find out who alabama's playing and uh, what their schedule will be will we see a lot of rivalries in that game now remember it's an eight-game schedule how many rivalries will exist and i'm sure they're going to have all kinds of guests as we will tomorrow because uh, we're scheduled to have paul feinbaum he'll obviously have a lot to say about it we'll get somebody in alabama we'll get somebody in auburn so that's pretty much our show tomorrow people love them a schedule reveal yeah i personally don't get it but whatever i mean teach his own um mr president mr secretary it was an honor. i never i never f- filled out my re- my term i was i was a half-term president mm-hmm. i never i never you got go a chance down in history right i never got a chance to fill out my uh my term Mm-mm-mm. you nixon <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, and it's not something I want to brag about. But my family lived in Upper Saddle River, and Nixon, he lived in Saddle River. Y'all used to go out and hang out together and play and stuff, or what? Never did. Never got to see him. Mm. Probably worked out best for I you. I think so. All right, till tomorrow at 6. See ya.